That's why I think entrepreneurship is one of the best things that could and should spread in the strength and conditioning industry. If you put skin in the game and you're out there and like entrepreneurship, I don't look at it as like, oh, you have to own your own business and you have to make money. Entrepreneurship is really problem solving. Making people speak up and show up and put proof of stake behind their work, I think is what that a field and really any field needs. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. Great coaching doesn't necessarily begin and end with your ability to connect. As a leader, you can't be afraid to let your little baby birds spread their wings and fly. And this requires educating your athletes and allowing a little autonomy where it's appropriate. You're building humans for sport and for life. Today, we welcome Brett Bartholomew and Ali Kirshner from Team Art of Coaching. Here it is, episode 602. I understand the colleges, like you went to UT, you went to Auburn, or you went to Duke, I can use you guys, you went to Duke. I don't know where you went, Brett, but John went to Cal. <laughs> You're irrelevant, Brett. He went to K-State. Well, oh, that's right. I did yeah. know that with uh, our boy, Pratik. Yeah. But uh, is it like, hey, that's a Paul Quinn guy, that's a Ruiz guy, that's an athlete's performance guy? Mm-hmm. No, like, well, coming out, like on, on my end of it, it was more... It was still the fight of you. Are you uh, Olympic or are you powerlifting? Right. You had people that were arguing about whether you did cleans and snatches or whether you did more throws and plyos. And that was always crazy to me because at Nebraska, I remember they, they did a really good job there of mixed method approach. Sure. You know, like we would do dynamic work and stuff that was clearly more quote unquote West side or powerlifting oriented, but we would also do Olympic lifts, snatches and cleans and jerks. And to me, that's never made sense of like just being on one side of it. Um, I think my boss at Southern Illinois at the time, who I learned a lot from as well, like, but you know, he didn't, he didn't like doing deadlifts. You either did cleans or you did clean pulls, but why can you not fit, fit deadlifts? There's exercise rotations for a reason. I was taught that deadlifts were too slow. Yeah. But then I mean, that's that, why you don't do them in isolation. No, but it, it's funny that like, uh, Hey, you know, we don't want to ever be slow pulling off the ground. I'm like, I've seen dudes squat so slow that it, I could fucking watch ice melt. Right. That's why none of it made sense. It's no, like it, that it yeah. all has a time and place. It just has a matter of who's your population, what's the purpose, and how does it fit in. That's like saying I don't use a certain uh, of food in a recipe. Well, that it's all dose dependent. You know, you can make any recipe. There, there's sometimes you're eating something and somebody's like, do you taste a little bit of that in there? And they're like, there's, oh, there's tomato in there? Oh, yeah, but you didn't know because the cumin masked it or whatever. I, and like, I just saw a cooking demo because Charles has got me on these uh, Instagram stories cooking shows uh, where they uh, took these really nice steaks and then they uh, coated them, they dipped them in chocolate and then put them uh, like a, I, I got to send it to you. The guy uh, vacuum sealed it, uh, put it in the refrigerator for 10 days, pulled it out and then sous vide it mm-hmm. up to one, I think it was like 130. And then took one of them, cooked it in a cast iron, another one on a barbecue, and then the other one I think he did like uh, with a blowtorch and then like went through it. And as I'm looking at this, and like I, I appreciate that the guy wanted to do it, but all I could think of is why the fuck would you put chocolate on a steak? Well, it's funny you mentioned that because Allie's nickname in high school, she told me once, was chocolate steak. And so I'd like her to elaborate on where that came from. Really? It's, uh, it comes from just like the silky notes. Uh, <laughs> the silky notes so of Allie? Weird. Did you know Texas nickname in high school was Limp Brisket? <laughs> I mean, you have Silky Steak and Limp Brisket. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's it. I mean, he you was a it. big uh, Limp, you know, Biscuit fan, and he liked Brisket. And I heard that's his Brisket right. was a little limp. Well, but that, that brings up like soap to break. And I know, and I know you're a big Limp Biscuit fan all day. You I, know, I mean, I listened to Rolling, Rolling, Rolling on the way here. Um, 
but it does it does make a point right like when you're when you're just like when you're a great chef you can get a lot away with a lot of unique food combinations i mean go to look at some of these menus you don't even know what half the things are but you taste it and it's amazing people miss the point that when you're when you spend more time investing in your coaching there's a lot of other things in the your training menu opens up because you can do different combinations and things that other coaches maybe couldn't do because you have a more intuitive feel for timing. You can get people to execute it better and all these things. So sometimes I think that the reason there is such a dichotomy and a false dichotomy of that of like these training doctrines is people just want to be absolutists because there were certain things they didn't know how to coach. Sure. I mean, the amount of times I heard people being like, oh, I, we don't teach this or we don't teach that. Because they can't. Right. And I'm like, but that's your job. You know, that was just like when... Conscious coaching first came out. Some smart ass on Twitter that I don't give any publicity was like, you know, real coaches are working from dark to dark. They don't have time to do nuanced interactions. And I'm like, well, then maybe you shouldn't be a coach. How does the amount of, how does the amount of hours you work in the day dictate the quality of the conversations that you can have? Like riddle me that. You know what I mean? And so you're saying because you have this, I mean, I, I don't know about you, Allie, like, but the amount of athletes I've, coach at one point in time has never dictated the amount of effort I put into my communication with them. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. I need to take a few moments to thank our sponsor, Power Athlete Training Systems, for providing the best training programs on the universe, in the universe, in the metaverse. I mean, really, if this is the matrix, and I'm pretty sure we're stuck in the matrix, Neo and Morpheus are uploading Power Athlete Training Systems. I'm pretty sure they're doing field strong. What do you think, McCorkle? Oh, I agree. They are on a specific training program for what they need. And to find out what you need, listeners, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash training and take our little survey to find the perfect training program for you. So we have developed training programs specific for an archetype. You want to get jacked, we got Jack Street. If you're looking to foster and develop athleticism, we got Field Strong. If you're looking to kick the door off of hinges and smash things and cut up and just be a fucking badass, we got Hammer. If you're first experience in terms of lifting weights and getting used to a barbell using a basic linear progression with bedrock that's the right one for you and if you have a few miles underneath your belt maybe a few kids fortune 500 ceo or maybe life's getting a little in the way i want you to check out grindstone and if your job and your desire is to fucking wad your face off i want you to go check out johnny wad and if you want to stack on a little johnny bot on that and hit a little bodybuilding accessory we got that too so what we've done is we've created this amazing catalog of services, these training programs designed for archetypes, and every one of them fits a specific user. And you know what? If you want to find that user, go on. I want you to take the survey, and then I want you to click on and take our seven-day free trial and see which one is right for you. Best-in-class training. And for less than a dollar a day, you mm. get it delivered straight to the mobile app Train Heroic. Mm-hmm. And if you want to sign up for our newsletter, you can go to powerathletehq.com forward slash or backslash forward slash forward slash newsletter. I want you to go to that, sign up for the newsletter where you can get more information, not only on training programs, get uh, discounts on shop on the merch, and really just know what's going on within Power Athlete with the Academy and some of our other initiatives. And the latest episodes of Power Athlete Radio. Which is really the most important thing. Power Athlete Radio the premier podcast in strength conditioning and your resource for the best information on training, nutrition, cars, maybe some movies, banter and banter. I mean, we've been on other fitness podcasts and when it comes to banter, we can fucking out banter anybody. Yes. And if you're a big fan of power at the radio, don't forget to smash that subscribe button 
hit us with a five-star review that we will read. If you leave us an amazing five-star review, we will read it on air. And believe me, I love reading the reviews, uh, especially the five-star ones, because it lets us know we're doing a good job. And we got some very creative listeners out there. We do. I mean, uh, that's why there are people. Yes. Throw your hat into the ring. Again, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash training. For all your training needs, take a little survey, find out what you're training for. Seven-day free trial on that program. And training for less than $1 a day. Thanks for Power Athlete Radio for sponsoring this podcast. (laughs) See ya. Bye. Bye. No, I mean, I think it was more dictated by just the way the session was run. Right. It still didn't stop me from going out early onto the floor, staying late, going to practice in between times. That's where the quality interactions happen anyway for me. Yeah. And so I just think a lot of these training dichotomies were what people felt comfortable coaching. And and it goes into the research of what it says. Most people coach the way they were either coached or in the way that they viewed another successful coach who had made it. So what easier way to mask? Oh, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. Dude, it's just okay to say that like you don't know how to do that because you can't tell me that you don't understand it's important to lift weights at different speeds in different ways in different volumes at different loads, different times of year at different angles, right? Like you're not going to, there's not, there's not many exercises. And this is like the big moment, right? Where somebody in the comments is there's not many exercises that if you coach them really well and in an appropriate context that are useless, you know, aside from the really extreme ones, cause somebody's like, well, what about behind the neck pull downs or, you know, behind the neck presses for a quarterback? Like we don't need to have that conversation again and again and again. You know, uh, that's why with uh, power or with power athlete, what I focused on was developing this template of athleticism based off of these primal patterns. The idea that you can step squat, lunge, vertical press, vertical pull, horizontal press, horizontal pull, because I got so tired of fucking trying to discuss nuances of different movements to people. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, it's a vertical pull. And they're like, well, what about this? What about this? I'm like, they all look like vertical pulls. So what I was trying to do is just show people the bigger picture. Because what I loved about strength coaches and, and not so much athletes, but maybe gym goers is they get so romanced on these different like, oh, if you lean this way as yeah. you're doing a lateral <laughs> rotation, you know, and I can get my body to a 45, I can place more. And I'm like, well, okay, target, sure. It's targeting a different head. Oh, I, of course. But like, I'm like, okay, but what about if you do it from behind? What about in front? And I'm like, at the end of the day, uh, like all of these movements are similar. Now, if you want to add different variation because you think it hits the muscle in a new way. Fucking go for it. But at the end of the day, like that movement isn't going to be the, like, that's what, that's how I won the Mr. Olympia because I was leaning at a 40, but, but, but don't, but see, that's easier to understand these variance nuances. And this is something I ran into with strength coaches all too often. They got into this like, oh, well, that's a stupid movement. Why? Because you can't teach it or you don't, you know, like how does it fit within this stuff? And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I mean, the amount of guys I saw Olympic lift in the NFL was like, I remember when I went to the Patriots, um, I went in and they had all this beautiful Lico stuff. And I was like, oh, shit, I pulled out my shoes. I started stacking on the plates. I dropped the bar. And all of a sudden, I can't remember the strength coach's name. He came sprinting out of his office. And I thought I was about to do something wrong. He was so excited that somebody was actually using the equipment. Mm. It was Olympic lifting. He, like, sat down. And he's like, this is great. We haven't seen anybody use this stuff in years. He's like, are you going to back squat too? Yeah. And I was like, yeah. He's like, oh, fuck, I haven't seen that in a while. Yeah. No, and, you're and, spot. Then, and then we went to bench and I ended up like uh, stacking on plates, you know, 135, 225, 315, 405. At 405, like four dudes ran over and they're like, hey, we, we, you got to do a board press. We can't have you bring it to your chest. We've got too many ruptured pecs. This is our deal. Nobody puts 405 on the bar. And I asked him how many people put 405 on the bar. And the guy's like, it's been a while. And that's just that that just wasn't part of their culture. I think it was uh, Wojcik. 
Mike Weiss. Okay, yeah, before yeah. he went back to the Cowboys. Yeah, and uh, but yeah, I mean that just wasn't part of their culture. Would you? I mean, you understand to a degree, though. I mean, a strength yeah. coach is going to get fired if every yes. jackass. I, I mean, even I, in, yeah, I get it, and yeah. I didn't argue. I'm like, yeah. hey, man, uh, I'm new here, so just tell him like I uh, you believe me. Uh, all I'm going to do is push more weight off of a two board. Yeah, and so it just was interesting that like I mean this is their culture. And they had, you know, 300 different ways to actually squat other than actually doing a back squat. They had all these different leg presses and this and this. And they're just trying to find variations to get people to do anything. Yeah. And when I explain that to people, they're like, so wait a minute. But they won Super Bowls. And I'm like, so you honestly believe that the training in the, in the, in the is weight what room did that. is what drives that? Yeah. No, dude. It's, I mean, but the, the trainings, it just. But that's what creates the friction in the industry, John, though, is because people, most strength coaches, self-concept is wrapped up in that. Right. We want to believe that, like, I mean, everybody wants to feel like they have some kind of control to what happens to them. And the way you look at what people want, people want to belong to a group. They want to feel understood. They want to feel heard. They want to feel like they have some control and, and some autonomy over what they do. So people seek meaning and control in all these little ways. It goes back to, I think we talked about it on a previous podcast. Why did people hoard toilet paper? Well, psychological principle of zero cost fallacy that when things are their most chaotic, people will always go back to the one thing, the basic thing, what can I control? So they'll hoard and they'll do that and look how evolved we are, right? And so when you tell a strength coach that like this isn't going to do X, Y, and Z, they're going to say, well, piss off, you know? And then people want to jump to, well, yeah, injury. I, I can impact wins and losses because if I get hurt, if somebody gets hurt in the weight room and they're our star player, it's always like the more, do you ever remember that thing? Like, what was it? The bigger the promise, the greater the lie or what's that phrase, Right. The, the more dramatic the example somebody goes to to prove a point, the more they're just kind of like reaching, you know, and it's like it's called, it's called hyperbole. Right. Yeah. But it's just like somebody I saw it the other day, somebody arguing uh, of saying, I hear people keep saying strength coaches can't influence wins and losses. Try doing something stupid in the weight room and hurting people and yeah. you'll see real quick how they can. It's like, sure. Well, yeah, but like that, that shouldn't be the argument. Well, I mean, but, but the same could be made of a, a position coach. You exactly. Know, a position coach does something stupid. A star player gets hurt. Now, all of a sudden, you remove that guy from the equation. And I think what's uh, what's really fascinating is when I played in the NFL, um, there was a, uh, an idea that one player doesn't make or break you. And then now, over the last bunch of years, because of the changing in the rules and the way that they basically have skinned and pushed the NFL into a certain way, one player makes an entire difference. Look at Joe Burrow. Uh, I used to say that Cincinnati was where really good players go to become irrelevant. And when I saw him get drafted there, I felt terrible. And there's a situation where one really good player, even with a terrible offensive line and not a big supporting cast, can get his team to the Super Bowl. Look at Tom Brady. You take a you know a decent to mediocre Tampa Bay, you bring one guy in and a few star players, and next thing you know, that guy's winning the Super Bowl. So I think with the way that the rules have changed in such a way, now you can't hit a quarterback and all this, you bring in one star guy, and all of a sudden now, I mean – I mean, defenses can't pass rush. They can't hit them. They can't do anything. No. Well, that's one of our slides that, you know, it says all it takes is one influential follower for leadership to fail. And you saw that with like LeBron when he was at the Cavs, right? When, when a coach didn't know how to handle him versus Tyron Lue, the first time being like, shut that. And it wasn't about like this power struggle. It was that like, you have to check those things. And it really does. I mean, because then these insidious little issues start creeping up in organizations and cultures. Um, but that's a, it's a lot different than like saying this exercise is what got me there. And this is like, no, like relationships and the way that people influence each other through their behavior has a big impact on that, you know? And it, like going back to your example, the people doing the 45 degree leans, it's like all that stuff is really great if you're doing 
oh, I'm going to hit everything from different angles, but at least be able to overhead press maybe 135 pounds first, you know, or whatever you're depending on your demographic. Right. Um, and that's the thing is people don't just adhere to fundamentals. And I think that was where like, I mean, it's a respect that we have for you guys and what you do at power athlete. And I think we've all agreed on like why we deem communication to be such a huge thing is it's the one thing guaranteed in a world full of like, what ifs and gray area, poor communication is the one thing guaranteed to make any situation in life worse. Like that is an absolute, like go be an awful communicator and try to see if anything good happens to you. And it doesn't, but like to sit here and argue about exercises constantly. And it doesn't mean like you won't talk shop, right? We'd like, we can talk shop about all these things, but at point you got to know to like what end, like what's the point? What do you want people to think, feel, and do after you have a conversation, after you have an educational event, after you have some kind of rhetoric. And at the end of the day, I, I just, I get confused at where the argument with performance is going at this point. When for four decades, it's been the same thing and it's people just dying over exercises as if it's land in medieval times. Well, uh, but it, isn't it easier? That's why. I, I mean, it's, it, it, it feels like a lowest common denominator. Uh, dude, I've said it for the last fucking 20 plus years and I tell people constantly, uh, the worst program executed well is much better than the greatest program executed poorly. Like if you hand somebody a program and they can't do it because it's too complex, they're not going to do it. It's going to suck. I can't do any of this shit. I'm not going to do it. If you give somebody something simple, I guarantee they're going to be able to execute it. And even if it doesn't have nuance and cool shit and all these other like, you know, bells and whistles, they're still going to be way better than they were. How do you change that culture? Well, then? Oh, go. Well, this is transitions to Allie. You gave up control of your program and we're not stickler to it. And you gave freedom to your athletes. Yeah. So how is that curve of communication for you and saying, Hey team, like I'm backing off. This is your program. Well, initially it was really shitty. I mean, it was really hard because I had grown up in a culture where programming was king and having a, you know, a card that was beautifully designed and, you know, percentages were on point. And that's all I knew. And talking about like weightlifting versus powerlifting versus all those schools, like, you know, at, at KU, you know, Hootie had our basketball guys snatching a hundred kilos, you know, like that's what I, that's what I knew. I thought all men's basketball players at the D1 level could do that. So, uh, you know, I come from that to a totally new environment. Talk about reading your audience. I don't know if an autonomy-based program would have been as strong uh, of a choice at KU, but the athletes I had at Stanford, so intuitive and smart and just like proactive thinkers. So when I was using that same programming methodology on them, something felt wrong. And so after the whole COVID thing where everybody lost control over everything, <laughs> uh, me included, I came back with this autonomy, you know, style programming and, uh, you know, came at the, the idea of the weight room as a learning environment and a place for them to actually like grow as humans because every other part of their day was so programmed. It was go to testing, go to class, go to breakfast, go to practice, run the same 15 plays at practice. And they, they just weren't, there was no freedom of expression anywhere in their day. And so the combination of that environment plus them being intuitive, autonomy was the perfect choice for that. And by me checking my own ego and taking away the lifting cards, they had such a foundation from previous experience with me that, you know, I could say, hey, pick a single leg squat, pick a squat, pick a whatever, what, what's going to feel best for you today? And in the beginning, obviously, like was still controlling for sets, reps, intensities, and stuff like that. But they had the freedom to pick back squat, front squat, trap bar, deadlift. Because at the end of the day, we're talking movement. 
And that's, that's the beauty of it. And then helping them understand that and communicating that that's, that's part of our challenge when going to traditional strength and conditioning. I'm still having these arguments. Like people get mad if we back squat and then deadlift back to back days. So it's, it's this big picture. We're aiming like power athlete. We're training, coaching, teaching movement, not movements. Like athleticism is our goal. We're using the weight room as a tool and a vessel to your performance. Well, it's not like your max effort, those things back to back, right? Like that's the thing. You know, I mean, we're, we're much bigger on rep maxes. So I, I found, and it's been cool. I've I've been pioneering this thing called inherent periodization. Uh, Chris Morris actually ended up coming up with fluid periodization based off of the cross of football and a lot of our stuff. And uh, as he got up and presented, I was like, fuck, this is genius. Oh shit. And he's like, yeah, no, I got it from you. You know, the idea of inherent periodization where you're going to test rep maxes. And that rep max is going to be based on, you know, the heaviest you can do that single day. Right. And then any of the compensatory acceleration work or any of the kind of speed work is going to be based off of that rep max with a like or similar. And the problem, too, is uh, I always hated um, if I squatted heavy, uh, I never had enough real like, I guess you could say, like enough in the tank to really pull a heavy bar. So I never understood those. So I started breaking them up and putting them on different days and almost looking at the poles as like a heavy back day. Mm. And um, I ended up being much better in that and a ton of dynamic pulling. Well, it's so. not inaccurate. I mean, I did a shit ton of RDLs yesterday. Like I always try to do high volume lift before I go on the road. And I mean, where do you primarily feel that, right? Like you're going to feel that of course in hamstrings and whatever, but I also feel that in your erectors. Yeah. And so like it, that always did make a lot of sense. And I think about like, here's the thing, Ali and I talk a lot about just congruence with a lot of principles. What you're looking at is dollar cost averaging. Right, this idea that right now what's going on in the market because of Ukraine and Russia and everything else, right? Tanking, tanking, tanking. And my dad would always say stocks are the only things people won't buy on sale. So nobody invest like a bunch of people don't invest right now. And then they wait till the market's good. Yeah. Well, it's just high, low volume day trading, all this stuff. Whereas if you just keep your, let's say it's a hundred bucks, right? And you just keep it steady, keep it steady, keep it steady as things ebbs and flow. And that's the same thing with your movements. Sometimes you invest more, sometimes you invest less, investing being congruent in this case with the intensity or the volume and what you're doing and varying in that time frame. Well, and, and also uh, I used to put um, like, a, um, uh, like if we were going to, you know, let's say squat, like do an X, like a, a heavy squat, there was always a lot of dynamic jumping. And then the pulling stuff when we would do that would be a lot more kind of upper body dynamic stuff. And so it was just an easy way to partition. And I'm constantly like, we've been battling this for years and I'm like, hey, man, at the end of the day, you should be able to train a full body every day. Mm. You know, the idea that, hey, I play football. Coach can't use my legs today. I'm just going to use my arms. Like, you have to be able to go do these things. And, like, the idea of these selectorized kind of you can't train this after this. And, like, these are all just myths that was perpetrated by somebody else. Well, and that's what I like about what when Allie talks about everything she does from an autonomy standpoint is it cuts down to that core concept of a little bit of how what deems you as a really useful coach. And I think some people are scared to admit that you're a great coach when somebody doesn't really need you anymore, you know, to a degree. And I think of, you know, our, our guest in the room here, my neighbor, Matt, right, worked for Lockheed Martin. Matt had never trained in any kind of like true performance oriented way, right? Matt had gone to your any times, done basic fitness, been in the military, all that. And then Matt would come over because I'd want some training buddies. And I'd be like, hey, do you want to push, pull, throw some things around? Then I remember one time I'm like, hey, Matt, I don't have a lot of time to like teach you the snatch because this is my workout too, right? It's not Brett trains in the neighborhood. And I'm like, I need you to take the bar from here to there. And I need you to get your hands a little wider. And, you know, in the past, it'd be like, okay, this is why we do it to increase ground-based force production. I need you to cover the bar, position one, position two. And there's a time and place for that, right? If I'm coaching a bunch of high school kids and I need to, but in this case, even then, sometimes I'd be like, guys, here's where the bar starts. Here's where it needs to end. Show me how you do it. 
watch how they do it, keep it low risk. Maybe they have PVC or something like that at that point in time, and then insert yourself. But like some coaches need it to be about them. And that's why I go back to the self-concept and the autonomy thing. Like that's always shown me that Allie is somebody that's secure in herself, secure in her teaching methods. And it's the same thing when we run this apprenticeship. Like you can remove yourself from the equation because it doesn't need to be about you. Um, but coaches like to feel needed. They like to feel want, wanted because one, that's human nature. But two, we get a lot of people in this field, myself included. I think all of us included. We have insecurities. You want to feel like your work matters. More importantly, you want to feel like work that you're really passionate about matters. But it's like at some point, you got to put a rein on it. Like a good conversation. There's something like you and I could go all day. And there's sometimes I got to be like, cool, shut up. Bring Allie in. Bring Tex in. Bring this in. And that's really hard for everybody to do because you just start vibing and you want to get into it. Go ahead. You look like you got something good. Well, two, two notes on that. You'd make an excellent middle at a dinner party. I had a Thanksgiving experience in which we had a poor middle and it split the party in half. And I was very upset. Interesting. So you would be good acknowledging and pulling people in. Oh, Very thanks for that. For See, Tex, I'm planning a wedding, so I'm going to call you because I'm going to need your help on the seating arrangements. Tap me I, in. Yeah. Gonna... <laughs> yeah. Where do I sign up? Hey, where do I sit, most Does importantly? It... Well, the problem Does is, is uh, you better sit before you have drinks because the one, once you give him a drink, he fucking turns into a like uh, weekend at Bernie's. Oh, so... we saw that in Charleston. Yeah. When Mr. we went out to have yeah. lunch afterwards, you had the cool kid sunglasses on and you were just vibing. Yeah. He uh, actually was, at that time, he was using his mask as a koozie, which was my favorite move. So this yeah. is prime of COVID. Nobody really knew the mask goes over the mouth. Oh, it's Charleston, South Carolina. Like, COVID yeah. didn't exist. It really didn't. You know, the one good thing about this Ukraine World War Three thing is uh, COVID just disappeared. Uh, oh, thank God. So, what I want to get into... I'm just waiting for the fucking bombs to hit. Wait a the bo- hold on, the bombs to hit. Hold on, Easy. one sec, Tex. Take a beat. You think we're gonna get attacked by Russia? Uh, Let's get no, into it. Um, I'm actually just hoping for an asteroid. Um, so I've come to the conclusion that we know we've reached the lowest common denominator, Human where we've existence. convinced millions upon millions of people that their outlet for social media should be dancing and singing like a bunch of fucking monkeys. We were just like, talking about like this. a bunch of like dancing monkeys. So, like, the idea that, like, uh, we used to joke in the NFL, I'm not here to fucking amuse you. Now everybody is fighting oh, to amuse. Oh, it, it's unbelievable. I'm well, like, look what it's done to, like, Instagram so, growth and all that, dude, too. Like, <laughs> but, like, the TikTok thing, I'm like, you realize that, like, you know, you, you remember the Zoolander where he's yeah, like, yeah. everybody's fighting to become that fucking Zoolander. And I'm like, holy shit. Well, this morning, I was like, please, I was asteroid. Plane, and there was a girl that was no more than four years old with an iPad bigger than her entire upper half. Just flicking through TikTok, and I was like, "Wow, holy shit!" Yeah. Oh, it's it's. it's and where uh, I come, flicking your TikTok is not a social. That's that is not something you want to talk about in public. You do at home. Yeah. So, uh, as we were at the Arnold, all of a sudden I go walking by, and like I see all these like oh, people yeah. doing all these choreographed dances, and the weird part is. Charles fucking jumps right in with them. Charles. Because they're actually, TikTok has these pre-established dances that everybody knows that he practices. So he can go anywhere in the world, like the Arnold, and jump in and be the fifth wheel in their TikTok dance. Completely blew my head off. Like, I was like, Charles, first of all, what are you doing? How do you know these dances? Like, it's TikTok, bro. These are established dances. We do these every Charles, can you show us one of them? Put me on blast. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to see one. But yeah, this was... Uh, this is me kidding because I know Charles's back is turned, so I, I can harass him. He can't Charles defend himself. 
I, I want to uh, respond to that, does. but I want to honor you. We you. actually did a, a uh, we got out a Ouija board, had a little seance, and you know, Pollockman was doing. Charles yeah. owns the name. He didn't own his name, but he owns the name Charles, so that when you hear Charles, everybody thinks Pollockman. Well, he lost the name Charles Pollockman in a divorce, and then he became like the Iron Samurai, I think was what he went with. Sen- no, Strength Sensei. Strength Sensei, that's it. Strength Sensei. And for the record, I appreciate his contributions, but an enigmatic figure and something that like it's just it get it, it's a it's a pure example of again what we do in strength and conditioning. It shows that like everybody's got their guy, you know, and guy inclusive term, but like and it's just like nobody can just like be like I mean, I think of myself, there's certain things I like about what I say and there's certain things that I'm like, well, that was dog shit, you know, and there's certain things that I, I would hope any well-adjusted person would do that. And I'm not well-adjusted. Um but like we get we there are actually some people that believe like everything they say is like the greatest thing, you know, or if they don't, other people think I think it would be beneficial for somebody to be like, hey, I was maybe wrong about that at that point in time. Like I look at some stuff that I wrote in conscious coaching and I'm like, I phrase that way differently now. I either make it easier to understand or I did this or I did that. Like who cannot. So I just feel like it's a worrisome field when you there's then been people in it that will never admit that like. Oh yeah, that was that was vague. Like, let's look at like Prilipin's chart. You know what I mean? Like, there are people that will live and die by Prilipin's chart. It's kind of like, no, like that's not how this works. But going back to Russian bombs and everything, do you think we're gonna get bombed before they ask for it? No. Um, I, like so the way I view this entire thing, we're in a video game, right? When you beat a video game level, when you go to the next level, what happens? They have to turn it up and make it more difficult. So what I think happened was that COVID did not have the effect that I think a lot of people thought it would. Mm. So now that we're kind of going off, we see a Peter off, they got to bring something else in and now it's threat of nuclear war. And then I think after this aliens, I think uh, we're just going to keep, they're just going to keep doubling down. I mean, where does the, Pete Davidson being married or dating a Kardashian and almost the A-list of Hollywood hotness? I love, I, first of all, I, I, I love the fact that Pete Davidson is dating a Kardashian um, because I don't necessarily know what nationality Pete Davidson is. He's not white. He's not black. He's just kind of like swarthy. It's Pete Davidson. He's Pete Davidson. Pete, wait, what word? Swarthy. I've never heard that. You never heard the term swarthy? Text. Define, uh, translate. Uh, the first time I ever heard the word swarthy was on Saturday Night Live. And they were doing a skit. And I can't remember uh, the guy that was running for president. He was running. I want to say it was, um, was it Dukakis? Michael Dukakis. Michael Dukakis was, uh, and they were doing a spoof of him. And he's like, I'm a swarthy man. <laughs> and we and we had never, it's just uh, hairy Greek, like Middle Eastern was the word for swarthy. So like, uh, oh, this is like the, the bloat lord, Kyriakos Grizzly. Do you know about him? Can we pull up a clip? Do you guys do that on this? They do it on Rogan. Do you do it on this? Yeah, no. Well, uh, Charles is the poor man's Jamie and has way less technical K- talent. Kyriakos, just put a, put Kyriakos. Charles just put, is swarthy. Type swarthy, in YouTube Grizzly. And then uh, bloat lord, and it'll come but, up. Uh, but think about this, right? Like we, welcome. Uh, we we've gotten to this point where it's like fear is the greatest way to cultivate and really move and, and manipulate people. Oh, like like a lot we, of coaches still believe that. Yeah. No, fear and it, disgust are the two most powerful human emotions. It is because you can't. Uh, we have no ability to process information. And I tried to explain yeah, somebody. Oh yeah, I know who this guy is. It's awesome. Can we have him on? Hey, he man. he does that incredible uh, zercher squat with like. He moves like a quarter of an inch with like 2,000 pounds and he's like, ugh. And showing uh, what he does is, you know, he provides true evidence of what happens when you take the fabled six grams of creatine daily. Mm. You know, which I, I want to read. Can your audience see this? No, we'll just cut it. Yeah. But uh, I really think that 
fear is, is is by far the greatest way to to get people to move and to really manipulate. Uh, you, we, I had this, and this is so naive. I remember when the internet started, and I remember the first time I was in. I was a freshman in college. We had to email in a paper. That was like a big deal. Like we had to handwrite most, but the teachers like you're gonna have to write this and you're gonna have to email. And we had to like put in seven discs. And this is like 1994. When I remember I had a professor that was like talking about like message boards in the internet and like, the, like what it could be. And he talked about the transfer of information between people will accelerate uh, intelligence at such a rate that we will solve the world's problems in just a mere couple of years. Now we use it to, we have all the information in our hands and we use it to look at cat videos and Kiriakos well, screws. We have never been dumber. And so it really wasn't an access to information because there was an, I mean, that's the reason that library cards were free. They wanted books and information to be free to the masses. And the problem is we've given people unlimited free information. And all we've done is basically dumbed them down. Yeah. People don't value anything they don't have to work for. Um, people don't value free shit. No. And that, I mean, what you're saying is a proven principle, right? Like loss aversion is people are more willing to fight to keep from losing $5 than they would to try to win $10. Yep. That's just how it is. And uh, there's research that shows like if you took- He's in these, good shape. Yeah. He's great shape. If you took like a growler, right? One of your growlers here or something. And let's say you hadn't used it in like 20 years, right? But somebody wanted to buy it from you. You, most people will, will value that growler more if somebody wants to buy it or take it from them than they would, you know, even when they just had it and looked at it every day. They'll attribute sometimes 4X, 5X the value to it, even if they don't use it. I mean, think about hoarding. You know, like people will not get rid of things even though they don't use it. And then if somebody wants to make them an offer for it, they're like, eh. it's like, dude, that sat in your closet for like dude, 20 years. Look at uh, 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 that Pickers show, American Pickers. Yeah. These people show up to these fucking shanties with all this crap and they're like, we sell this. I'm like, uh. it's been sitting there for 70 years. Because well, like, it's an extension. Our have stuff is an extension of self. American Pickers store in Nashville? Uh, I have not. Uh, that place is an experience because they've taken everything from that show and marked it up 17 times. Mm. And you could buy it. You can buy your grandma's old apron that has cigarette butt holes in it. For $4,000. Exactly. So, so I mean, think, perfect for me. Think how that's come around full circle though, right? Value is subjective. Yeah. Like, And so whether you're looking at the TikTok videos and all that of what people think, you're like, this is worth my time. This is worth this. And people making millions of dollars because they're TikTok stars, but they're not providing any true like lasting value in our eyes. But apparently these consumers, people are, that that's viable to them. It's the same thing you'll see it tomorrow. Right. We've changed a lot since you were at the last apprenticeship. We had a conversation in New Jersey. Matt was there. Somebody was like, and this is so, this ties in everything we've talked about so far. Young coach, and he meant well. He wasn't trying to be like, um, you know, he wasn't trying to play, what's the term, you know, Tommy Dickhead, where it's just like trying to be the smartest guy in the room. He was like, well, I have an issue with this evaluation. And I said, well, what is it? And he's like, it's subjective. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Right. And I go, well, yeah. I mean, the evaluation is you're going to look at yourself in this role playing scenario. And then you're going to look at the feedback that you got from your peers. And there's going to be a gap there, sure. right? There's a gulf that we have to figure in. And that's the point is you're asking yourself, where might I be the problem? Where, where, how am I coming across? And what might even be an alternative solution, right? And he goes, yeah, but because it's subjective and he's like, I'm not saying the science is, but because their opinion of me is subjective, it doesn't have value. And I go to who? And so long story short, we had to figure out once we started getting to the cause of the, like what he was really trying to ask. He said, listen, I got fired from a previous job and I'm having trouble asserting like my worth to my employer now and I want to raise. He goes, I just wish this was something I could take to him and show him, hey, objectively, this is how I rank as a coach and a communicator. And I go, but, but even if there was, even if that was a purely objective measure, 
his interpretation of the value of that measure is still subjective, right? We could take the most objective, like if lie detectors were 100%, right, as it is, like we knew if you if you pass a lie detector, you were 100% telling the truth. There are people wrongfully in prison that could take a million lie detector tests. And even if they all said, nope, text didn't do it, you're not lying, not lying, not lying, you are still convicted by a jury of your peers, right? A jury of your, that's their opinion. The world runs on opinion and perception. And so the things that we find valuable or the things that we find disgusting or the things that we find scary, like not everybody's going to agree on. And that's, that goes to exercises, that goes to TikTok, that goes to autonomy-led coaching. There are some people I would imagine, and I'd love to know this, were there some athletes that even when you awarded them that, they would rather be told what to do? Oh, so many. Oh. And this really surprised me. I was like, well, oh, literally, like, I remember. But wouldn't you want that? What? Well, I, what? I, I mean, uh, I, well, this is a good point. I don't mean to piggyback off of it. But, like, when you said that you were giving your athletes autonomy, yeah. like, I would walk in and be like, I don't need another thing to think about. Just, like, tell me what to well, do. And if and I'm I an athlete, that. I want I to be that. coached. 100%. And so that I think that's where finding that middle ground is so important. Because I tried autonomy first at KU. I'll never forget it. It was during finals week come in supposed to be like low intensity just come in and get the sweat going and that was the workout make up your own workout it was one day out of 365 that i let them pick their own workout this girl looked at me and she's like i don't know what to do and i was like huh like go do some bicep curls i don't you know like i've taught you everything right so then but but i thought about it and i was like that makes sense right like one that was probably overcorrecting because she really probably didn't know how to do it herself. But with the Stanford athletes, I came to realize that there were some that were like, cool, freedom, let's go. And then there were some that were like, yeah, like what you said, I've got so much to think about. Like, please don't make me think about this. And so that's where it's like constrained autonomy. I don't know if that's a, maybe we'll make that up, but it was basically like from this bucket, you get to pick. Mm -hmm. And I would have a word bank on the side of all the exercises they knew from that bucket. So it was like, not, it's not true autonomy, I guess, but you know, it takes some of that cognitive load away. But yeah, hundred percent. Cause you know, I'm, I'm the same way. Like sometimes, and I hate programming for myself. I don't know what's oh, wrong with me. You me both. It's the worst. So I, I get that, you know, it's but then I do somebody else's and I'm like, this is absolute dog shit. I'm going through this right now. Like, so, so we deliver our training on train heroic. And so part of my deal is, uh, um, you know, one of Train Heroic's big drivers is I have to go out and do some market research. So I constantly am joining other people's apps and looking at other people's programs. And so, like, whereas I think uh, people are just trying to sell programs, I'm trying to figure out how to make a better experience. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, our deal is not about like, oh, we have to get more people in. Uh, like, it's about retention and more importantly, improving the uh, experience. And so Train Heroic's on the dev side, my, my deal is in terms of like product development. So trying to get them like, hey, here's something that I think would be really beneficial, like simple shit. Like uh, when somebody posts, I want the ability to be able to hit a button. Like, you know how I can send you a voice text message? Yeah. I want to be able to respond to people with my voice so that yeah, they I actually like that hear too. my instead of having to type it. Mm-hmm. So I can look and be like, hey, this looks great. Do this and this so that they can physically, like an, or I'm sorry, audit- auditorily, is that a word, auditorily? More audit- with you, yeah. yeah. Uh, hear my voice, which I think is much more, um, just rich because we did this deal where uh, people signed up for annuals. They got a consult. So I did the consults. And as soon as I said, Hey, this is John Wall from power athlete. I'm here for your consult. They were like, Holy shit. I listened to the podcast and it sound, you sound just like you do on the podcast. I'm like, it's because I'm the same fucking person. Yeah. And I'm delivering the same media. And this guy was like, man, if, um, when I asked a question, I know you respond. It would be so cool if I could hear your voice. And I'm like, that's an easy ask. So, I mean, there's like all, all this shit on the, on the dev side I've been working on. 
but I join other people's apps and I'll follow their programs and it's fucking awful. It's like, man, three sets, eight to 10 reps of this and this and this, and it's five sets or five exercises. And I'm counting this and I'm like, okay, you're hitting 10, uh, you know, 10 to 18 sets per, you know, this. And I'm like, I'm basically flow charting their fucking movements. And I'm like, this is, and I've looked at like 20 different people's programs and the amount of nuance and intelligence where like, like at the end of the day, everybody's going to do the same shit, but how you write it, the creativity, how you arrange it, the way that you can like, you know, and I think what's cool is like, Hey, okay. So you have these different movement that you want to do. Here's different ways we can attack it so that the person never gets fatigue and they feel like every time they're going to go in, there's a new challenge. When I do the same workout over and over again for eight weeks, by week three, I'm like, ah, oh, this sucks. Like, give me a little bit of variation. Give me nuance. Have me li- lean at a 45 to hit the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to keep way. bringing that up. Right. No, but like, uh, like, uh, you know, like we're going to do calf raises. Great. Have me turn my fucking heels out, even though I know the research is inconclusive right. to whether it's going to hit not this pieces. Like I want some different nuance and things so that, uh, like, uh, like I can't read the same nonsense. Or yeah, whatever. Well, I can't read the same genre. Uh, like it, like there has to be nuance. Things have to be creative. They have to be fun or people aren't going to fucking buy in and just sitting down and writing like one week of programming and then, you know, timesing it by eight. Like to me, that's a shitty experience. And even yeah, though you might be well, the world's best trainer because your dude has great genetics and takes more drugs than the other guy and you got somebody looking great, like that's the shit. And I think the reason we've been successful is that we, one, we actually do the training so I don't get bored because if it looks like shit, I change it. Sure. Well, and that, and that leads to, you're like, there, as much as we're all advocates of simplicity, there is points of like just adding some nuance, whether you use a descending pyramid, ascending pyramid, and you're looking at like volume equated load. I remember we had an intern one time that we were doing a modification of just like a very conservative wave loading program. And he's like, you know, if you just did this and this, the load would equate this. And I'm like, and I hear that, but this one, this person's done 24 weeks of programming at this point. Two, it also helps them because they start to get in this groove and they just start grinding out the reps. And you are going to get a little bit of low level potentiation when you wave this appropriately. And it's just like, not everything can be simplicity all the time. It just has to be based on sound principles. Right. And so like, Yes, most people can get by with like the uh, like let's say it's five by five or this and that. And then, well, then why are you doing ascending and descending? Well, it, how long have they been training? And it's know? fun. Yeah, uh, it's like, fun. Like I mean, Louis uh, Westside waves seventy five, eighty, eighty five percent using accommodating resistance. Change this. I mean, you know, people are like, oh, it's conjugate. I'm like, it's probably so you don't fucking put a gun in your mouth after five years, right? <laughs> like, let me just uh, like. Uh, well, John, I don't know if you'd uh, kick me out of this, kick me out of here for this, but one time I even used bands and chains during a. Uh, Imagine I wasn't doing speed or anything like, or you know, I was just, I wanted chains on the bar and I wanted to lift them and I did it uh, for like eight reps. I did that on Monday where I had to uh, hit fives on the squats and I didn't want to put plates on. So I just started stacking chains. You can't do that. Oh yes, you can. You can't do that. Talk to Louie. You can't do that. Uh, you, you know what's hilarious is uh, uh, this. So I was really fortunate years ago. I went out to Westside and I was out there for a couple weeks and I had like something like 18 meals in a row with Louie and like hang out with him every day. We trained and like, you know, he would like I just went back to the hotel. He'd call me, text me. I'd go back and meet him. We'd do like seven workouts. And uh, like it eventually came to the point where like here's like the universe of Westside. And like this is like the universal principles. And all of this nuance doesn't exist. It's if you understand the basic premise. You can break the rules and, when you know them. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And so as we started talking about it in a lot of our template, is based off those conversations. Because I asked him, like, would you do singles for football players? He's like, no. He's like, I'd maybe do, like, fives and triples. He's like, why would you need to do a max effort single? He goes, maybe right. once a year just to kind of prove shit. 
And I'm like, we went through all this stuff. And I was like, well, what about, you know, you're showing like, you know, 12 by two and, and 10 and you kind of do these waves. He's like, I wouldn't do that. I was like, we did 30 fucking doubles on the minute for 30 minutes straight. He's like, yeah. He's like, cause that's more akin to what you need to do. And he's like, but I'm like, but you didn't write about it in the book. And he's like, well, why would I? He's like, the book is the, you know, the West side method. He's like, this is West side. Yeah. And, and, and so, so like, like you said, like using change for hypertrophy, of course you can. Because at the end of the day, as long as you're, you know, understand something about mechanical tension, you know, going to failure and really pushing the boundaries of it, that's where hypertrophy happens. If you understand like the key focus of hypertrophy and how it happens, you can fucking break the rules however you want. And you, and you, you can use chains and bands at the same time. Right. And you know what this shows? Like when, when we talk about like problems in the industry or because it can be really easy to talk about why do people do this? Why do people do that? What it really shows me is the more people argue about black and white thinking, the less experience they have just in the world in general or in that activity, right? The more people want to argue about like, this is the only one way you can do it. The, the, when somebody says there's only one way to do something, that shows me they haven't had much experience doing that thing. You know, and that was a big reason where like when we knew, all right, we're going to do a workshop on communication, leadership, all this, like the number one thing it had to be was experiential learning, which is tough because day one, you do have to throw a lot of theory in there so people get the idea. But then day two, it's like, all right, now get into it. And then guess what? We realized that some of the content we were front loading, thinking that we could explain everything to help them make more sense of it on day two, didn't matter because once they went through the role playing on day two, they had more questions. Well, now that information has a higher chance of saturation, right? Because it means something. Only after somebody's made a mistake or experienced something are they now more likely to learn it. That's why experience isn't something you get till just after you needed it. So we decided like, you'll see it tomorrow. We have this whole thing on perception and impression management, all that. This all used to be front-loaded because we're like, we've done our job. Now day two, let's apply it. No, we realize that, no, let's let's get them into it day two. And then they come with the questions. Now they're, it's like my toddler. Right, my toddler, like my wife, will think he'll only eat a certain bar or only like pouches or whatever. Like he's two, right? So he still is in that finicky phase. And I'm like, you know, it's funny if you actually don't give him that thing, eventually he'll get hungry enough that he'll eat whatever. And he wants to watch this tractor show. He's obsessed with tractors. So for a while, the little tyrant would come down and be like, tractor show, tractor show, and it's just highlights. It's an hour of like real tractors plowing fields and all that. And so at one point in time. She was like, I do not, you know, we can't turn that on. We got to get him to school. I go, well, good news. 10 years ago, he could not just come down and watch a tractor show whenever he wanted. You know, that didn't exist on YouTube. So now he doesn't have to do it. And guess what? He adapts and finds a new way to do it. And so like, if coaches would just like go and it's like, he's more willing to try a new show or try new food when like, he's like that, that experience wasn't what he wanted. He can't have what he wanted in that moment. If people can just have like the reality of like, before you debate about a training thing or a method or this and that. Just go try it. And you know what? Don't try it once and be like, told you so, because you're skewed and you're biased and whatever. Try it under many conditions in many constraints. I used to think like, think of coaches. Like I remember the first time I went to China to coach, right? You feel like a pretty good coach. You've coached for a while. And then you go to China and you realize like, oh, these metaphors aren't landing. These analogies aren't landing. Or this concept of recovery isn't being welcomed as much. Oh, hey, maybe you're the problem. You Brett, like you're not understanding the cultural context. Meet them where they're at. And we had to code switch a lot when we'd present. In America, like you would have to present, here's the research, here's the research, here's this. When I was speaking at this place in Beijing, they just wanted the pictures of me training Chuck Liddell and this and the demonstrations. And there's not like, so I I think that just like the whole idea of anybody's listening and watching still, and they're like, all right, you know, I don't want to hear just complaints about this and that and whatever. The main thing is just, if there's one thing you take away from this is the people that want to argue for black and white thinking usually have the least amount of experience, least amount of skin in the game, least amount of 
like just humility of anybody in the room. And you got to be careful. I just had this conversation not 30 minutes ago. And I told the guy, I was like, hey, man, I come from a different generation than most people where I understand gray areas. There's somebody. And actually, we were uh, we were actually discussing because he was like, uh, you're not a Trump fan. I'm like, I'm not. He's ridiculous. He's got orange hair. His tie's odd. Like the, the suits, the fitting, the fact that he tweets at 2 a.m. Like there's a lot of things that really bother me in terms of like the individual but I also understand the nuance of what he did in terms of a global market and what we saw, you know, when you look at like what he actually did on paper or post from that, I have the ability to be able to segment that and look and say, hey, I might not like, like this person for this, but I see the value in what they're doing. I'm just using him as an example. Um, whereas this generation and so many people are so black and white because he tweets at two in the morning, he was rude to somebody. Now everything he's done is discounted. And he can't listen to Michael Jackson. No. Well, of, of course, because, you know, Michael Jackson's music now has been tainted because of this. And it's like this fucking all or nothing type of bullshit. I'm like, okay, Michael Jackson was a little weird. But does he get a little bit of a pass when you see how he was raised and the all shit? Like it doesn't make an excuse for it. But at the end of the day, to say that his music isn't good and we can't listen to it is fucking dog shit. And the person commenting right now being like, oh, so you're saying it's okay to sodomize little kids and whatever. It's like that's the same person that if you look, let me examine your life, uh, Rocky Blue 862929. Let me open up that file, you know, and it's just like shut up. I also said this to somebody recently when I, and I read this to Charles, that if somebody interacts with me and it's, it's some fucking handle, like stronger by deadlift and squat or science and this and running and this, all these fucking handles. I'm like, if you don't have the fucking balls to at your fucking name, I no longer have any value for you. And I want you to go fuck your own face. You dick. Man. So what would you say to this person? One time I remember somebody saying that to I was somebody like, on Twitter. fucking idiot, dude. There was somebody I was like, was- go pick a better fucking handle or have the balls to put your fucking name on there. That's like me wanting out there and being like, hey, what more is not on the back? It's fucking at, um, you know, uh, explosive feet or something. Uh, one note on that. Uh, one thing Louis, uh, I guess one of his coworkers said, essentially like people were introducing themselves to Louis. I am at versus their name. Yeah. So, so uh, just text brought up a good point. But uh, so the last podcast Louis really did was the Joe Rogan deal. And then after Rogan, Anybody that's on Rogan gets just fucking bombarded by the fucktards to try to get them on because now they can somehow trail and, you know, follow Joe Rogan's tip. Hi, 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 hi. So uh, all these fucking idiots are like, oh, I'm at this, at this. And Louis's like, at what? And so Louis just refused to do podcasts because he's like, first of all, I don't know who these idiots are. They've never trained a fucking day and it's a waste of time. So he just didn't do it. And so when I reached out to um, Louis's guys and I was like, hey, we'd love to get him on a podcast. The guy ended up responding. He's like, Louis doesn't do podcasts anymore, but he will do yours because you're actually the only person left like like within the respect that he has, you know, for people. And he was happy to show up and he hadn't done one in years. He did it for us. That's awesome. And uh, so no, that was huge. But I mean, I was also in West Side versus the world. He called me and said, Hey John, will you be in this documentary about West Side? And I was like, Whatever you need. Imagine that you establish a relationship. Yeah. Like some yeah. And when he reached out to me and said, Hey, so originally the way it went down is he reached out and said, Hey, we're gonna start a certification for West Side. Will you sit on the board for, for it? And he called me out of the blue. And I was like, yes, you're Louis Simmons. I, I know exactly who you are. I mean, George Zhang is the old man that trained me. Talked about West Side. We had a reverse hyper. You know, my dad's from Culver City where the original West Side barbell was. Like, of course. And, um, you know, and, and then I told him the story about me reaching out to him many, many years ago trying to bench 500. And uh, so I, I agreed. And he's like, it'd be great if you could come out. Great. When do you want me out there? So I went out there for a couple of weeks. I just didn't show up for one day. I actually went out there, got a hotel room and stayed for weeks and trained in their groups, jumped in. Hey, when you want me here twice a day, you call me, I'll be here. I'll be on, you know, and I showed up 
every day we would meet at Bob Evans, we'd go to lunch and then we would go to dinner. And we did that for just a couple of weeks and uh, learned the, the deal to the point where, you know, we hadn't been there in a couple of years. We show up with Tex and he's in the room. Oh, seven. Yeah, it hadn't been seven years. We walk into the room and there's all these strength coaches and people and he's kind of holding court. He sees me. He tells these people, he's like, fuck off and walked over in Texas like Jesus. I'm like, he, uh, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it, it was nice. Like, and I told these guys, man, to like, to feel that somebody actually reciprocates. It's so rare these days because everybody's so like, well, what can you do? Yeah. Everybody's transaction. I mean, there's an immutable power in like not being full of shit and being reciprocity focused, yeah. you know, and that like going back to the handle thing. I remember sometime I saw somebody that was like, uh, I don't know, servant for sport was like their handle or whatever. And somebody was like, they got one of those arguments. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, it was, their handle was something else like that. But again, I'm not going to give them publicity. I remember <laughs> yeah. exactly who it was. No, free no yeah, at all. Him. And so somebody was getting into it and they go, dude, why don't, I don't even know who I'm talking to. Why don't you use your real name? And the person goes, well, you don't know that. And this is what, you know, we, we talk about in our uh, apprenticeship as an exemplification impression management tactic where you're trying to lean on moral virtue. So the guy goes, I don't use my real name because it's not about me. I'm in this for the athletes, not my own glory like you. And I'm like, oh my God, that is the worst so, use of bullshit in impression management I've so ever heard. None of these people, uh, well, what I think you should do is recommend Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People should be the first step in 99% of these fucking people's sure. deal. Like at the end of the day, like, uh, but they um, think they're right. They don't give a shit, but uh, it's because they're behind the thin veil where they can't get fucking punchified in their face. <laughs> and I, I think it would be a lot easier. And I tell people all the time, I'm like, if you and I had a conversation, uh, one, it would never get to this point because one, I would basically back you into a corner with not only, uh, my fucking powers of rhetoric, uh, of rhetoric but like at the end of the day, like, uh, you know, if you like, what's so interesting is that you get into this and this isn't like a, a male thing, but there's this dick measuring contest. People are constantly, it doesn't matter if it's men or women, everybody's trying to do it. And I'm like, great, show up and let's measure. Who the fuck do you have? What have you done? Who are you? Why are people buying into what you're saying? Just because you have a, a, you know, a fucking page and this and this. At the end of the day, like, you know, you have a guy like Louis Simmons who totaled elite for like five generations and has coached hundreds of thousands of people without asking anything in response. People might not like, it, like him, but you can't fucking deny his impact. Do you want to hear my hot take on that though? That's why I think entrepreneurship is one of the best things that need that could and should spread in the strength and conditioning industry because it makes people put skin in the game. You know, like if people come to a power athlete and they come to one of your events, one of your education, like if they spend time around you, they're you're you're gonna know pretty quickly if you're full of shit. Yeah. Right. Like if you put skin in the game and you're out there and like entrepreneurship, I don't look at it as like, oh, you have to own your own business and you have to make money. Entrepreneurship's really problem solving. So it doesn't matter if like you're the business owner or whatever. But like what I mean is you have to put some, I think, presenting. Like we started uh, Art of Coaching Speaker School this year, right? And the idea is that you don't need to want to like go speak at TED or whatever. Like it could be you just want to be better asserting yourself in a conversation or if like you're trying to get a job and you don't know how to be your own advocate. Like this idea of like actually making people speak up and show up and put proof of stake behind their work, I think is what that a field and really any field needs more because it's the equivalent of like, you know, like any, it's, it's that concept of fighting, right? Anybody that really knows how to fight usually doesn't go look for one because they've had their ass kicked. They've been punched in the face before. And that's what you have. You just have a lot of people that like, it's really easy, complex, vague material to hide behind in training. And there's always an N equals one and maybe an N equals two to 10. And there's always so many complexities that it's easy just for everybody to be right. And I'm like, okay, well then like, it's the same thing. Like, I know I'm no Proust or Pulitzer, like prize winner, but would somebody say your book sucks? I'd be like, I would ask them genuinely, hey, I 
Thanks for your feedback. Well, first of all, did you read it? Exactly. Because <laughs> I, I've, I've come to the conclusion, like there's- uh, They don't read I've, shit. I've read a ton of books and even books that I have been like, ah, oh, that really didn't do it for me. Like I've never thought like that book was poorly written. I bet you most of those people never read the fucking book. It's just easy, you know, like uh, like T. Swift said, people want to throw fucking rocks at shiny things. Right. Well, and I want to hear Allie's take on this, too, because we talk about it societally, just this lack of tolerance, which comes again from a lack of skin in the game and a lack of experience. And that's why you have people that argue about training and argue about this and argue about everything because it's a world of bystanders now. Well, but, uh, but the other thing, too, is uh, you don't really have to have done anything. So what I realize is that a lot of people, because they don't have any practical experience in the training game, it's really easy to listen to a whole bunch of different people and then kind of come up with your own version of what everybody else said and then fucking push that out. Like I listen to this stuff and I'm like, God damn it. Like have some fucking principles because I've heard all this shit before. Yeah. I mean, I like I learned more about training from watching Pumping Iron than I'd learned from fucking most of the internet. Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, Arnold's modern bodybuilding encyclopedia is still bomb. And I still have it. Yeah. It's still bomb. I mean, uh, like, you know, and uh, we had a good talk with Jim Wendler about this, the fact, the amount, the amount of hate that he gets on his five, three, one program. And I'm like, again, they just don't know shit. Well, and but so it's, like, it's it, it, like the genius of it. Like it, like it, it was so simple. Like, I mean, and, and I, people ask me all the time. I'm like, do I think it's the best beginner program? No, I think a basic linear progression works. Do I think it's an incredible intermediate advanced program? Yeah. If you get advanced, it's got to add a little more nuance. Like there's a perfect point for that program and we've used it and we've tested it and we've, we've done it. My, I've done it myself. We've had athletes done it. We've run it side by side. We've fucking tested it, broke it down. I called Jim and said, Hey, we're going to try it this way. Try it any way you want. And, uh, it, like at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, you're going to lift something heavy. You're going to go for some max reps and you're going to go to failure, like mechanical tension, right? Like strength. You got to have some form of fucking, uh, you know, progressive overload. It all fits in it. It's waves. Like you know, deloads like it, it fits. It has all the fucking pieces that it needs for an intelligence strength conditioning program. For somebody to say it's dog shit, I'm like, I've done programs where I didn't like it. And I was like, ah, it's not interesting. Not to say it doesn't work. Like I, I've, I've never run into a program like that where I was like, oh, that didn't work the way I intended. Well, what the fuck did you expect? Well, and more importantly, what did the person tell you on the front end? If you told me I was going to put fucking 50 pounds on my bench press and then, then all of a sudden I put 45 pounds on. Well, that didn't work as advertised. I only put 45 pounds. If I put a fucking 45 pounds on my bench press, I'm going to do a fucking backflip. I put 45 pounds on my bench in the last fucking 10 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, going back to when he said, you, you had just mentioned it, do it any way you want once you know the rules. That's what I was saying is like, when I would ask these people, can you give me an example of writing that, that resonates with you? And I would ask them sincerely. I wasn't being like a smart ass, you know, and then because I'd want that feedback. And if they're like, well, so-and-so's book is for me. Oh, okay. Well, that's why they didn't like what I was doing then. They wanted me to sound like Nicholas Nassim Taleb and I'm not going to, you know, but if somebody like you don't think you don't take things as personally when you put skin in the game because you're more receptive to ideas, you know, and I think of Allie and the reason I wanted to turn it to her is Allie like, you know, le leaves Stanford. She comes into an entrepreneurial role with Art of Coaching and now she's had to, she went from, you know, sets, reps, programs, agility, speed to like now learning how to not only help design websites but also nurture sequences, all the things that like she's putting skin in the game in another avenue. And so like I, Ali, I'd have to imagine like when you look at another website or knowing what it takes to build an online course now with what we do or knowing what it takes to like experiencing their product. If you do feel, if you do have something that's suboptimal, you at least give that a little bit more grace because you know how hard that is. And I think that's the thing that people discount is like you will get more respect at least trying, even if you put something out that like, isn't that great? 
man, that bumps you up in my book, knowing that you at least tried rather than being like this critic. But I mean, how has that given you a different look on like the tolerance or the patience or just change any kind of perspective, if at all, coming from a pure role and performance to a coaching role and an entrepreneurial role in a different light? Yeah. Well, I mean, just in, in every aspect, because I went from a job that it's not that I had figured it out because you can't ever figure out training hundred percent, but I felt like all my days started to feel kind of the same. Yeah. Like, you were at Stanford. Go Bears. Well, right. I mean, like, it, like the athletes were basically just like, they could just do it themselves and then they would go out on the court and they would drop, you know, win championships and win championships. Yeah. And that was, I had nothing to do with that whatsoever because we trained, you know, minimally at the end of the season. But anyway, beside the point, then I come work for art of coaching where every skill is new. Right. And it's like the most humbling experience of all time. And we were just talking offline about the me recording the mid rolls and the pre rolls for the podcast, which is the most awkward, uncomfortable thing of all time. Apparently I have horrible dry mouth and can't make it through a uh, podcast sponsorship clip without needing to wet my lips. <laughs> but, um, Brett's like, I'm so glad that he was <laughs> Texas, Texas eyebrows when he said web. He goes, what are you, what are you? No. Here's, here's some advice for recording ads. One take, no script. Yeah. No, that's what I do. That's what I do, man. But she still goes. Well, I just like, like I have to have some like finality to each one before yeah. I move on to the next one. And I think I mean, when you, five minutes you haven't done it. Here's what I need get, to do. I need to get You got to do more minutes. nonsense. Yeah. Like you need 500 of these. How many fights you need? Yeah. 500 podcasts. 500 fucking podcasts. So there's a, God, what was that movie? With Vin Diesel. Well, um, there's several. But Pitch Black. No, it's uh, it's guys. called The Knockaround Guys. He's got this great, it's wonderfully terrible uh, monologue where he like goes. Like Fifth Element, wonderfully terrible? Yeah, he goes over and he tells this guy, he goes 500. Uh, and the guy goes, 500 what? And uh, he looks at me, he goes, 500 fights. He's like, you know, basically, that's what how many fights I figured it would take to call yourself a legitimate tough guy. Oh, wow. And then he that's goes through this thing. He's like, you know, you start this and you get to the point it's where fictional. it's yeah. fictional, 500 fights. And then the hilarious part is, so I posted it because we had just done our 500 podcasts. And I'm like, 500 podcasts is how many you know to be a legitimate podcaster. And then the problem was, is I posted the clip and people were like, you know, no legitimate tough guy would ever be in 500 fights. And then people got into this thing and I'm like, it's a fucking movie, you From fucking nimrod. 2001. It's, like, it's so, so bad. It's, it's so bad. And like, it's just so ridiculous, but it's, it's wonderful. I love it. And it's, it, it's great. And we used it as this like great fucking like metaphor for the podcast and this. And then people just wanted to argue about, I don't think Vin Diesel could do 500 fights. Yeah, those are and, just, and they were consumers. just fucking arguing. And I was just like, first who, of all, who has the time to argue? I don't even have the time well, to do everything I need to do in a day, let alone. But that's, that's the point, right? Did you also know that these... nobody's ever won an argument on the internet ever? I've no. searched. Uh, I, I actually, one person I know, uh, got into an argument on the internet and actually acquiesced and was like, you know what? You made a beautiful uh, um, argument right there. I think you convinced me. One time. I have one person that's copped that. Everybody well, else. Actually, all, there is one. Um, the woman from Westboro Baptist Church that left. Have you heard this story? Mm-mm. She's like, she's now, she has a TED Talk and all this stuff about how she left the church. And Oh, like, these are the people that show up with the signs. Oh, yeah. No, just they're fucking horrible, the worst horrible, human beings horrible. on the planet. Um, and the reason that she left the church was she started a, a relationship with a guy on Twitter and the guy, he, he didn't argue. We would love this stuff, by the way. It was subtle influence because he would message her and just seek to understand 
he was um he did not believe in what she did, but he just kept coming back and being like, listen, because she would hate, tweet some really hateful stuff, yeah. right? And he would just be like, listen, you know, why do you think that? And just, I'm really curious. Like, where does that come from in your belief? Again and again and again. And through that, just like conversation over and over again and him just like truly being curious about why, 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 they, uh, she basically realized one day she was like, this is all built on something that's not true. And I can't, I can't believe in something that's not true like this. And I don't know if that's a fight on Twitter. Well, uh, let's take a, a step back and realize that the people that are associated with that church are complete whack jobs. So they're, uh, I guess you could say they're like capacity for understanding and their like mental fortitude. They're so easily manipulated that you could understand how somebody could get in there and drive a sliver and literally change somebody's complete perception. Over they're Twitter. like a human that's Yelp a review. <laughs> yes. Uh, I, God damn it. I love Nothing Yelp reviews. Text- Nothing. I love Yelp reviews. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. You've never used Yelp. I said. I said those people are like <laughs> a human Yelp review. At least I got John. John. Uh, John there we go. Well, John, well, the reason I'm laughing about this is um, a little known fact. Uh, years ago, when we had uh, CrossFit Balboa, we were trying to like build up our social media deal, and so we created these dummy Yelp accounts, and we left ourselves Yelp reviews. So I have this Yelp account that I've had for years, and the way Yelp kind of views your uh, like validity is how long you've been and kind of like unbiased reviews. So I, I went in and I cultivated this thing over months. Like I would go someplace, I'd leave a good review, bad review, whatever. And then I started dropping these great reviews on our gym and they all pass through because Yelp like, oh, this is their first review. It's positive. They basically bounce you. So I've created this like huge, uh, like. You got a Yelp following? I, well, no, but I've invested in my Yelp. And so, but I only use it now as like an avenging angel sword where if somebody wrongs me, they get fucking poison penned uh, on the Yelp review. So we've been a couple places that have literally been awful fucking businesses. Went to a restaurant that was fucking really terrible. I had another bit interaction. I told the guy, a um, little long story short, there's a local boot maker. My daughter broke the zipper on her boot, and so she rides horses. So I took the boots over to this place, and the guy that fixes my boots is about an hour away in North Austin. So I was like, ah, oh, we'll try this little local place. So I go to this boot place. I drop the thing off. The guy looks at it. He goes, five days. I'm like, all right, cool. I come back in seven. I meet a different guy and he's like, who told you that? Right. This is the guy. And this is another favorite uh, of mine is when somebody starts telling me how hard their job is. I like fucking lose my mind. And I'm like, okay, so Come on, give me the context. What did he say? Well, he was like, oh, do you know how hard it is to change a zipper? And you have to find special people and this and the poles. And he's going zipper to people. Well, and I, I told him, I'm like, you fix boots, right? You're a boot maker. You're a cobbler, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, I cobble. I, I was like, so I cobble hard. So how long have you been doing this? He's like 25 years. And I'm like, so what you're telling me is you're, you're basically telling me how difficult it is to change a zipper in a little girl's boot. You're obviously not the right person. Is it not a cobbler I bring it to? Do I have to bring it to a leather worker? And the guy got kind of cross on me. And I was like, Hey man, um, I wouldn't, if you came to my business, uh, I would never start by telling you how fucking difficult it is because one, I have zero fucking sympathy for you as a, as a small business. I'm showing up for because I expect you to be a professional and solve my fucking problem. Right. If I got to go buy a fucking uh, sewing boots. machine and fix this motherfucker myself, I'll fucking do it. But at the end of the day, I would rather bring you the business, support a local business. So the guy was kind of a shit face. And uh, so then I was like, okay, are you going to fix this thing? And he goes, yeah, I'll fix it. And I was like, great. When? Fix your attitude uh, right? too. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, so I go back a month later. The boot is exactly in the same place that he left it with the thing pinned unfixable. They didn't call me. 
right? Because they told me, hey, we'll call you when it's done. So I go back and I go and I'm like, hey, where's this boot? The guy's like this. And then I looked at the guy and I was like, hey, do you need to call me and fix the boot? And he goes, yeah, we fix lots of shoes. It's one shoe. It's not that big a deal. It's one boot. And I was like, hey, this is big for a little girl who's got to ride this weekend. And it's big for me because now I got to drive to North Austin and buy her another set of boots. And the guy goes, eh. I looked at him. I was like, this is bad business. And he's like, it's not bad business. It's one boot. We, we fix tons of boot or we fix tons of shoes. One boot, who's going to notice? And I told the guy, I was like, well, it's a big deal to me. And first of all, in this society, I can't come back there and fucking beat the shit out of you or fucking set your car on fire or fucking pull over and destroy your building. But you know what I can do? I can leave you a really Yelp. nasty Yelp review. Hey, I got threatened to get and, sued from a Yelp review. No, and, and I told him, I'm like, I can leave you a real na- nasty Yelp review. And you know what? You're going to know it's me. And I fucking left and I went and I bought her another set of boots. And then I sat down and I was working on my wife's like, you're leaving a Yelp review. You get that look in your face. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you're they're, they're going to get right, I'm Yelp. I was like, because it's all I can do. I can't go back there and literally fucking bludgeon this dude with a boot for being rude. And I was like, a hundred years ago, you would have got your fucking ass kicked. Oh, you couldn't get away with that. I mean, literally, uh, th- I mean, this happened to us. We, we left our dog at a place and without getting into it, it, like our dog came back from it like two days later died normally healthy dog no no pre this was a rescue dog that we had had and we got its toxicology reports back and they were like this was very likely exposed to rat poison or some other kind of pathogen and it caused its immune system to turn on itself and so we wrote a yelp review because the lady just basically was like nope wasn't us yet she came to our house to give us a 300 dollars check for his like boarding fees even though our bills were over three grand for the dog and mm. it died like on father's day or around father's day and so, you know, she came over and gave me vegetables from her garden and a $300 check yet when her fault. And so we wrote a Yelp review and we didn't say like they killed our dog. We said, hey. Oh, I would have. But, well, like, but you could, right. Like we, we, you couldn't like what we said is we, we gave the truest account of what we sure. did. Like, hey, we dropped the dog off when we can't like the dog was acting weird the day after. There was a clear input output here. Two days later, we took the dog in like and, and this is what the toxicology report said. The next day. We had gotten, or later on, we had gotten a, a, a paper that said, you don't take this down. It's from the law offices of, I'm a douchebag, you know, TJ, I'm a douchebag. And they're like, you're slandering, you're liable. Send it to one of my friends. He's like, this isn't slandering or liable. No. You're not saying they directly killed your dog. You're saying, here's an input, here's an output, here's the interactions. I mean, because she, she was like accusing us. She was accusing us of it. And I'm like, you're right, lady. Like, we brought a sick dog to you when I could go visit my mom during COVID with our baby, which she hadn't seen in X amount of months. And my dog died and I just thought it would be convenient to plant it on you. Yeah. So well, anyway, we had to pay like, we had to pay over $600 for a lawyer to go after her because there's all these stories then about people that are $2,500,000 in debt because people will at least, they'll try to bleed them dry in court, which is really what she threatened. She's independently wealthy and was like, we'll see you in court. They don't give a shit if they win or not. Yeah. Right. All they, all they care about is it's like. The, it, it's the death, of, uh, the death of a thousand paper cuts. Right. Which it really helps to. Um, yeah, she runs a nonprofit rescue for dogs. And so we ended up having to take it down. But joke was on her because Yelp reached out and they're like, hey, we understand that there's people that are, they said, why are you taking this down? And I put an honest answer. We were threatened by legal action. Yelp was like, not okay. Because they're saying that companies are doing that. They're threatening people that obviously are not independently wealthy. Um, and they're trying to silence their First Amendment or whatever. And so they're like, we're going to put a flag up on her thing that says this company has participated in these practices. And I told Matt, I was like, Watch, I guarantee you once they put that up, she tries coming back and suing again. And we're just going to be like, so let me get this straight. Something can happen, right? They can mess up your boot. They cannot fix the boot, your daughter's boot. You can complain about it. Then they can sue you for it. 
and how do you take it down? Then if you take it down and they ask why you take it down and you're like, because I got threatened to get sued, you could get sued again. How does that work? You know? And so like there needs to be at some point in life, like part of the reason Allie and I are so dedicated on like teaching people how to have difficult conversations and conflict resolution is like, there's some behavior that people just have to learn is not okay. Yeah. You know, it's not okay. Like, it's not okay for, you were telling me uh, this situation, I don't want to like betray like somebody at work, uh, a friend's work that was acting inappropriately. Like certain people need to understand like these things are not okay and they have to get yeah. a little bit of a black eye and be like, no. Well, I mean, there used to be a point when you could shame people and now all of a sudden shame is like this terrible thing. I'm like, dude, Haters shame, are heroes shame was a very fucking powerful motivator in my life. The idea that, hey, I might not hold the standard and the thought of not holding the standard uh, fucking motivates you into things. And like I know, and I even said to the guys, and I've, I've told these people, I've run, I, dude, I've, I've owned small businesses, customer service, gym businesses. And I mean, dude, we've done, uh, you know, merchandise. We've done all this shit, man. I had a food company. Dude, I know how it is to deal with somebody. And a lot of times, and we, we know this at Power Athlete, if something's fucked up, I'll take it on the chin and we'll pay for it because it's not worth having a sure, negative yeah. uh, interaction. Because what happens is when you have a negative interaction, now you have somebody out there that's fucking vying for your ruination. Yeah. Who is fucking betting against you. Now, if it was me in that uh, uh, with the shoe thing, I would have been like, sir, I'm so sorry. How can we make this right for you? Um, is, you know what? Like, here's the deal. Like, uh, um, I know you got to go buy our new boots. Here's 50 bucks out of the register. And I've been like, wow, you just bought a customer for life. Right. And I've been like, hey, man, like, I know you guys fucked up, but like, at least I know you guys are in on it. And I, and I appreciate that. When the owner is a uh, is rude and tell me how hard his job is. And then I run in there and every person was rude about me. At that point, I'm like, dude, I will take it upon myself to fuck your business over and to tell people to not actively go there every chance. Oh, you got to get boots fixed. Don't go to those oh, shit bags. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's, it's like the same thing in a restaurant. Like we had rude servers. And I said to the lady, I was like, Hey man, I worked in the service industry. What you're doing is going to negatively affect your tips. And then people like us aren't going to come here anymore. We don't care. Great. I'll leave you an nasty Yelp review that. And then with the hilarious part is they like commented on it. I'm like, fuck off. Uh, this is what happened. Why is it wrong now that you've acted this way? And now that I've publicly shamed you, now do you have a fucking problem with it? When it was fine, when you were rude to me in the interaction, what did you think? I was just going to go away? Yeah. I told well, you I wasn't going to go away. I think that's like the theme of the episode, right? Is like um, playing the long game and people that know how to play the long game don't speak in absolutes and understand reciprocity, right? They put skin in the game. They try to find ways to make it right. They try to find more commonalities. Like, and that's the whole point of like, again, what I thought has been therapeutic of like, when I see people like this in life and I try to make sense of them, a lot of our content was just therapy for me. I had to figure out why people were the way they were. Then I think one of the lines that stuck with me once that I heard is the baseline for all human interaction is misunderstanding. So like this gave me a little bit more tolerance of not wanting to punch people in the face. Uh, when you realize that inherently humans, we live in a world that's chaotic and fast paced, resources are scarce, and we don't intuitively know what people want. If somebody bumps into me in the supermarket... I don't know initially if they meant to do that, if that was an accident, unless they say, I'm sorry or whatever. You don't really know. If somebody knocks on my door, are they selling something? Or are they telling me my, you don't know. So if you remember the baseline of all human interaction is misunderstanding. And that's why we have to pay more attention to how we communicate, right? Then it's like, oh yeah, well now I'm not going to get so upset when it feels like I'm not on the same page with somebody. Now I'm not going to be so quick to point the finger of like, you're being a douchebag. I have to remember, oh, wait, this person doesn't know me from Adam. They might've been influenced by innumerable other factors prior to this interaction. And even though I want to lose it, cause I have a temper, I'll see red, you know, quick, which I think that's something we probably share. No, uh, actually, uh, when I get mad, I just get extremely calm and get extremely clear. Yeah. Well now that's so, what I try to do. So no, I mean like, like when I get pissed, I get this weird sense of clarity 
and uh, everything slows down and I get really calm. And then all of a sudden I start taking fucking stock of what's around that I could hit somebody with. And then I start making this conscious decision. Like if I split this guy's skull, am I going to get arrested? And uh, it's only if you always one. Dude, I uh, uh, for some reason, like uh, violence and stressful situations add extreme clarity to me. And like it's like uh, every NFL game I played in, dude, was like the clearest, most simplest, best place I've ever been. Like the top of the roller coaster ready to go down is by far my calmest moment. So you put me in these stretching, you know, situations where all of a sudden people get all wind up and I get really calm. Yeah, but that makes a lot of sense, John. Oh, you, I you, love it. You had to adapt to all kinds of audibles in the environment and external noise. You you are primed to do that. And you have an interest in actual human beings, right? Which separates you even from other football players in that. Like what I'm saying is when most people don't understand that literally the baseline for all interaction is misunderstanding. Humans can't read each other's minds. We don't have great theory of mind all the time. <sighs> You've like, got to bridge that gap by being able to use, you know, compassion, strategic cunt. Go ahead. Shouldn't people, I mean, but like, uh, um, I, I agree with you that most people are, are extremely like they poorly assess every situation, but I think it's the reason because very few people are, are, are interested enough in being detectives and asking the right questions. Yeah. That's my point. Like, that's I, why I get into a situation. I start asking questions. Okay. Why did, and then you're kind of like, and then you hear people start bullshitting you. And I also have like a high bullshit meter where all of a sudden I'm like, that sounds like bullshit. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I got a pretty good sense of this thing. And it sounds like um, you're fucking lazy. You run a shitty business and you fucking completely fucked me over on this deal. Right, but in and, that guy's and, mind, you're the problem. Well, it, I know. But it, instead of fucking taking responsibility, and that's a huge thing that I do. I'm like, you know what? I found like, and, and this is the secret to being married. Sometimes you got to take responsibility for things, whether or not you're right or you're wrong or not. Sometimes it just helps to say you're sorry and take responsibility for shit. I mean, like if, if things get in an impasse, I'm like, you know what? I was wrong in that. Now let's move forward. Because once somebody kind of like, hey, accepts a little bit of like, uh, um, uh, like, you know, I was wrong. I accepted this. Now we can move forward. All I would have done in that situation has been like, you're right. You're the customer. We totally messed this thing up. I'm sorry. How can we move forward? And then once somebody gets that apology or, or once somebody creates that bridge, now you can effectively move forward together and solve the problem. The problem is if you stay on your side and I stay on my side, and you won't acquiesce even when you know you're in the fucking wrong. Now, all of a sudden, we pull out knives and this shit doesn't go well. No question. But see how that comes all the way back to the beginning of the episode where we talked about why people obsess about little aspects of exercises when it doesn't matter, right? What did we say? Well, that's the easy thing. It's the low-hanging fruit. So is so is somebody not taking the perspective of another person. So like these people, that's hard for them to do. So the the easiest thing for somebody to do is to blame it on somebody else to say, no, I'm not going to say, sorry, you were wrong to do this. They don't ask themselves, where might I be the problem? Because we have a world that by and large is lazy, that doesn't care, that doesn't have skin in the game, that doesn't take the perspective of others. And I'm not a nihilist, right? I'm not trying to be pessimistic. But think about it. Like there's a place that puts up a sign with a boot that says open and they fix boots there. And you walk in, you're like, hey, my boot is broken. I'm coming to you as the expert to fix my boot. And then I get treated like shit. I get strung along and I get lied to. And then I'm the bad one in this whole thing. And I'm like, you know what the mistake was? Taking you at face value yeah. and showing you know what the fuck you're doing. And that's why I asked the guy. I'm like, is this complicated? Because when I walk in and when the, you start telling me how complicated and hard your job is, one, I'm going to think that you're a fraud. Because at the end of the day, like when people ask us like power athlete, I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I can talk to you about all of the nuance. I can tell you all the nuance about playing football. The last thing you're ever going to do is hear me tell you how hard it was. Mm. And when I hear fucking professional football players talk about the pain and the difficulty and all this other time, I just roll my eyes and go, get the fuck out of here. 
would I go back and do that? Or I would never do it if I knew that bullshit. If I had to go relive and fucking run it back, I'd do it the exact same way. And every day that was hard, I fucking smiled because it was the most fun. I, I like instead of chewing painkillers like they were fucking some magic candy that was going to take me away, I fucking suffered and used that pain as a receipt because that's what I fucking did and I chose to do it. Nobody forced me. Nobody coerced me. Nobody pushed me out on the field and said, go do this. You don't have I, what like like I didn't know that banging my head against somebody was going to maybe lead to some fucking problems down the road. Now, obviously, they lied to us and they fucking basically said, oh, well, you don't know you get a concussion in this. And I mean, the information was wrong. But at the end of the day, like we were all like, like nobody was complicit in this thing. We all knew what we were getting ourselves into. Would I do it again? 100%. But you're never going to hear me be like, oh, it was so hard when I played 17 weeks with a broken leg. Yeah, but that game yeah, might I have... also fucking made it on Madden's horse trailer, which made me a fucking god, right? I mean, like at the end of the day, like jolly green giants walking through the earth, fucking stomping on small things was what we got to do. And that was the greatest fucking moment of my life. And you'll never hear me talk about Oh, the training and this poor me bullshit. And but when I knew what you were getting into, it. of course. But th- what I'm saying is this guy, most of these people, like th- they confuse what they do with what their job is, right? Maybe he likes, maybe he likes the business aspect of it more than he liked fixing boots. Just like some strength coaches then like working fucking, out more. Th- don't fix boots. No, no disagreement. Yeah, we're, like, we're, we're on the well, same it, page. It, it, it's like when I've met strength coaches that are like completely over the edge and are all fucking literally crusty and grumpy and whatever and been like, don't do this job if you're a cankerous fucking Spot asshole. on. Go find something else. If you feel this unfulfilled and prickly, because, dude, I dealt with a ton of prickly strength coaches where I'm like, are you just mad at your own life? I mean, dude, uh, uh, I, I learned a ton from Todd Rice. I've never in my life, we used to call him Rice Patty because we used to joke that he was like the BC laying in the water. He was going to fucking come out and stab you at any moment because he was just so angry. Hey, coach, can you show me how to limp? <sighs> I fucking have showed you this. He doesn't love coaching. He loves strength. When people tell you who they are, I've learned that you've got to listen to them. And the reason there are a lot of unhappy strength coaches is they love training. I don't think they they love coaching. And then many of them bitch about the business. I'm like, let me get this straight. You take a salary, right? You're part of a you're you're part of an entertainment industry because the NFL is an entertainment industry. Oh, of course, right? You know better Dude, than anybody. I, I I got paid a lot of money to wear white spandex and fucking bend over every Sunday <laughs> seven times. So I make no fucking illusions about like, like whenever I hear people make these illusions to war and battle, I would roll my eyes and be like, we're fucking dancing monkeys. Yeah. We're entertainers. I'm out here, you know, like, are you not amused? Like yeah. we're fucking modern day gladiators, dude. We're fucking this and this. Stop fucking. We're not curing cancer. And God didn't fucking help you get that touchdown. No. Well, and that, but that's what I'm saying is what, where a lot of people are in conflict. They have this conflict of self-concept and then what they actually have to do. Maybe it's a guy that loves doing the boots, the cobbling, right? He doesn't like the business. Or really, he likes the business and thought, hey, everybody's always going to need boots, but he doesn't like the cobbling. It doesn't matter. Or maybe he likes cobbling and the business, but he doesn't like people, whatever. And, and that's where like the asymmetry, again, we're so good at looking at asymmetries in terms of performance. Awful when it comes to people. Awful when it comes to our profession. People get into it and they know the training side. They don't know the business side. They don't know the people side. You know, And it's also like taking stock. And this is a completely different route now, but just because I want to hear from all of you on this, I think... One thing that having these conversations, and it's always what I appreciate about talking to you guys, is you like going into the weeds about this. And then some of the- That's what we do on this podcast. Yeah, well, but, we but go it's deep. good. And like, um, I think if anything, over the years, diving into more of our material too, I am way more aware of where I'm the problem in a lot of things. And there's certain things that are just, I have to acknowledge, I have to admit, there's some things that are a manifestation of our environment. There's certain staff meetings where there's a lot going on and we have a I know I'm not speaking at the right cadence or the right tone or whatever, but there might be some things that like, hey, this is just how it is. And I'm not going to be the perfect orator all the time. 
What I wanted to ask you genuinely, all of you, like John, Tex, Ali, is what is something that you feel like in the past however many years, days, months, whatever, you realize that like when you think, where am I the problem? You're like, oh, I know I'm a pain in the ass in this way. And not like, what are you going to do to fix it? But just like, I think sometimes we don't laugh at some of the shit that is imperfect about ourselves. Like, what is something that you know, like you are a huge pain in the ass about in any aspect of your life? And I'm really anxious to hear yours too. Text. Uh, what am I a pain in the ass with? Yeah. I don't know. What, uh, no, no, no. You don't get to I, I, I uh, uh, Quilkin could probably give me a much better write up than I. Uh, I, man. At the end of the day, uh, I think where I'm a pain in the ass is um, I have way I, I take on way too much. Uh, I like to the point where like um, I mean like like there's four thousand things happening. I mean like just give you an example. Like you walk in, you're like oh like so I try to plan things and space things out so I can like actually manage things, and then nothing goes to plan and everything happens. Like the dudes show up to pour concrete the same time the dudes were supposed to like. So when we when we bought this house, it was in. Um, it had been in a, uh, in like a probate sale. So the guy that built it, he died three weeks before he took possession. Of the house. Sorry, what is that? I'm oh, ignorant. So, so the, the, the guy, uh, the home and all of his stuff was in the state. Uh, he passes away three weeks before the home is done. And the estate was like in Pennsylvania. So the house sent vacant and was unfinished. So then the people in Pennsylvania, uh, had to try to like, just scab some stuff in to sell the house. And then this house sat vacant. So then it, like nobody had, so a bunch of shit, like the steps were broken and there was a bunch of fucked up shit. And, uh, we bought the house, um, on which, which is hilarious that we bought it on kind of a, a like lowball them. They accepted. And now it's like, uh, like you couldn't even buy like a, the land for half of what we paid for this house. It's fucking insane. Awesome. Um, and so there was a bunch of stuff. And so I was trying to like get somebody to come fix the steps and there's a few things. So like, I finally find a dude because uh, um, it takes me a while to like find the right people. Like uh, people come I over can relate to that. and I'll be like, I get a bad feeling. Like I got to like meet people and it takes years to find like legit people to do stuff. So I finally get this guy to help us fix a step and kind of unfuck some stuff. And uh, we got the freeze last year and the guy was like, he does pools, lost all these pools. So the dude for a year has been working on fixing people's pools. Finally, about a month ago, he's like, I can fix your steps. So then he came in and he started just about the same time that like the dude came to pour our concrete who was supposed to pour it like six months ago <laughs> and finally came out to pour it this week. And I'm like, Oh fuck. Of course. So then like, you know, there, there's all this shit that just happens all at once. And, uh, I don't think that I do a good job of like compartmentalizing. And if I can, like, I told my wife, I'm like, I can only handle like the business and maybe one project at a time when you three things happen and work and we got all these other projects. Like, I just don't think that I do a good job on like being like, okay, for this 30 minutes and this and this and this. And I can relate to and that. So, really. so I, I just feel overwhelmed and I don't think that I do a good job. And when I do that, I just kind of tend to like put on blinders and focus on my own stuff. And I have to remember that like these guys need direction. They need my input. Like there's stuff he's working on that he needs for me. And there's like, you know, we have all these people like scattered around the world that are like hitting me with all this information. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to try to make sure like, and then like right in the middle, we're supposed to do a podcast today, break our hose bib. Uh, up, up on like where the hose comes out, the guys broke it and water is literally shooting out like a geyser. And my wife's like, ah, there's water everywhere. And I'm like, Holy shit. The guy's like, Hey, we broke the PVC. Uh, I'm like, can you turn the water off? So then we ditch the podcast. I run to home Depot. I'm fucking literally digging underneath the fucking slab to try to fix this thing and get this whole thing done. And I'm like, uh, I guess we got no podcast today. Cause I had to fix a, a fucking broken pipe, you know? So like, there's always something you can ask text. Like there's always something. 
And I don't think that I do a good job of like managing, like I can manage a few things, but we throw too many things at me. And then also my kids are home at spring break. How old are your kids? Uh, it's my, one of your birthdays. It's your uh, son's birthday. Yeah. Right? Today he turned six and my daughters are 10. Awesome. So then like my daughters are riding, they do gymnastics. My daughter swims every night from like, she used to be there from 7.30 to 9.15. So then I, I basically take her for, uh, and she's 10 and swims like five days a week right. for like an hour and 45 minutes. So like there's just so many moving pieces. And then Texas coaches lacrosse and this, and I'm like, oh fuck, we didn't get to anything we're going to today. So then I'm up at like 11 o'clock at night trying to hammer it out. So I think uh, I'm not good about um, like compartmentalizing or like, like being like, Hey guys, I got a lot going on. Here's like the bigger picture. Cause I tend to do this when things get stressful, like in like, like playing football, like if fucking something's going wrong, I'm going to literally like, I'm not good about seeing what everybody else is doing. I'm just going to laser focus on kicking my own dude's ass. And I think as a CEO and like a, you know, as a, a, a cog in a bigger company, like you can't put on blinders. Yeah. And I think that's what I do. poorly. No, I appreciate that. That's a super thorough answer. And uh, I can relate to a lot of aspects about that. What about you Tex? Uh, one track mind. So if there's a problem, can't think of anything other. Not you. It's really annoying. To be on the other side of it. Well, example, (laughs) most recently, it was a very expensive example in that, okay, my truck was having issues and then, okay, I'm going to get one piece and I'm going to, I'm going to do it myself. I can't wait two days for our mechanic pal DJ to, uh, professionally install it. No, I'm going to do it. Screw that up. Got to get the big guy in here. So I steal two hours of John's time. It was long. Then fine. <laughs> Jesus, John. It was, it was long. got it done. Yeah, no, I. I John goes, it was actually. Okay. It, it, was, it was longer than that. And the problem. My anniversary. Too, yeah, no. Well, he calls me and I was like, yeah, I'll fucking fix it. Like, this is a simple thing. And I knew why he was doing it. The only problem was the part that he bought wasn't the same as the other part. And there's a bracket that fits. So then it took me about like roughly 90 minutes to modify and fix this bracket after like seven tries. So it was like a five minute install. And I told Tex, every fucking thing with your car, you're literally like one bolt away from this being a three day process. <laughs> and that's what we run into. But yeah. Okay. Go on. Yeah. But then can't, can't not focus on anything other than, okay, well, this is a problem. If I was only able to wait a few days, this wouldn't be a problem. So then in uh, confrontations, it's like, no, we need it. We need to finish this now. Okay. Yeah. So you like then, to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. And then Sigo, other coaches in this, it's like, okay, this is a problem. I don't want it to be a problem. Let's figure it out now. How about in your relationship now, right? Like how long have you been in a relationship? With uh, yeah. A couple of years, but oh yeah, that's the same thing. Like, no, we're going to solve this right now. Is she the same way? Uh, depends. Yeah. Oh, so I'll stay away. Yeah, I saw the hands come up. I saw the break so, hands. So I learned something long ago. Sorry, I didn't. Like sometimes when you like come to an impasse and like you guys don't agree, it's okay just to like fucking yeah. call the seat, like like disarmament, step it back, and be like, let's approach this after we've given a little bit of thought. Like force, time, yeah. space, thought. Yeah. yeah, you mean you don't have to solve every problem right then? Uh, no, I have to. And that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's and I like that she must listen to the pod because you stopped me hard. The nah, use of kinesics to to the there podcast. was. I, does she listen to the podcast? Sometimes. I mean, she wants to hear a sultry wife, tone. Uh, this is hilarious. We've done this podcast, and people constantly say to my wife, "They're like, I listen to John's podcast. It's great." And this, and she's like, "I've never listened. Okay. My wife's never listened. Like, it's it's." And a, we won't spoil the surprise yeah, when so Allie brought her a gift. I could totally say whatever. She's never going to listen to it. 
cake. But she will eat. I got eat. you a cool gift. Yeah. I promise it's cool. So you have to solve everything head on. Keep going. Yeah, that's the problem. Okay. And what, like, how do you, how do you work on resolving that? Given that you're in a relationship and you don't have that choice, uh, you don't have that option all the time. Your truck explodes and then you're like, <laughs> go through all five stages of grief within two days and realize, okay, uh, I need to uh, calm down a little bit. So this is all learning process now. So then he's got a nice boss that buys his broken truck. Yes. I'm and grateful. Mater. Yeah. So he's like, hey, because uh, uh, I even said to him, I was like, I, I bought you the truck. I'll buy it back from you. Like I could put it in my island of misfit toys. You saw my junkyard down there. And he was like, no, no. And I could see and it was processing in his head that he it's couldn't like, yes, give it yes. up. And then, uh, and I, and I, uh, this is kind of funny. I actually hit up DJ on this, uh, who's a kid that works for us. Um, so I've always been fascinated by this where like you drive by somebody's house and we've done this, you see like an old car under a tarp and it's just rusting away. And like, we've knocked on people's door and been like, are you going to do anything with yeah. this? And they can't let it go. Like, Oh, that was my first car. And I'm like, it's rusting into nothing. You're never going to get it. If you were going to do it, you would have done it. Right. You don't have the space. You don't have the tools. You don't have the knowledge. Like, like it's, it's fucking dying. Yeah. At least move it along where it gives it a chance at a new life. And, uh, they can't do it. And I've always been fascinated by that. And when I said the text, when the truck broke down, I was like, I'll buy it from you. And he like kind of glossed over and I was like, oh my God, you're the dude who puts it in his driveway, puts a tarp on it. And then it just goes to pot because you can't separate. Is that true text? No, hundred percent. Emotional connection. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, so, so I have zero attachment to to, to this type of stuff where like, if you said to me, Hey, I want to buy it. I'd be like, great. Where's your money? You can drive it away. Like, like the only, like I I just have never, uh, I've never been emotionally attached to stuff. Like it doesn't matter if it's clothes or shirts or this or. Did like you move I, a lot as a kid? Uh, no, we lived in the same house. My parents owned the same house for over fifty years. I've owned probably I think I have sixteen or seventeen homes. So like I mean like I've moved uh, like I've like the amount of homes like like this house is great and we love this property and whatever. Some I'm just building it and I'll keep it warm for the next person. Mm. We'll go somewhere else. So like I'm zero attachment. So when I saw text the look in his eye, I said to DJ, I was like, dude. And I told DJ the interaction and uh, he's like, he's like, this is interesting. And then text came back and he's like, can, can you buy it off me? <laughs> and when he said that, I was so proud of you. When you even said like, hey, can I keep the tailgate to make it into a bench? I'm like, 100%. Make the bench. Keep it. I'll even, I'll even give you the wood from pallets. We can make it ourselves. I'll even make it's it. Tight. Right? So uh, I have that emotional. Yeah, that, that emotional connection. Yeah, it's very right? cool. And uh, like take it and we'll do something with it. Like it, like it's not going to go to waste. We're like uh, uh, <laughs> like butchers, like nose to tail. Like I'll use every part of that. Yeah. Thing, right? All of a sudden you have awful, canned awful that you're eating. Oh, yeah. Like from the lips and assholes. Yeah. I like, dude, for, for us, the ability to turn and burn. It's Red Dead Redemption. Right because there. one, we have uh, the space, the tooling, like the know-how. Like this is what we do is fucking tear trucks apart and fucking make them better. It's so funny you say that. I have such the opposite with things, but it's honestly just when they're new. And I don't really know why, but I do know this. When I was a kid, I had to pay for everything. My parents didn't give me shit. So if I want an iPod, I had to save up and pay for it. If I want new shoes, save up, pay for it. So I would take care of my stuff so well. Like it would, st- like I still have an iPod that literally looks like it came out of the packaging. Hold on to that. One, Probably valuable. It's one of the ones that has like a spinny, you know. Oh, little, really? Little, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, listen, I live in Silicon Valley. That thing is probably worth a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and I think that part of it has carried along. And Brett was referencing my shoes. If I get a new pair of shoes, um, so my fiance is the same size shoe as me. And when she wears my shoes, I'm like, 
little part of me dies <laughs> because I know she's going to fuck them I, up. I kind of agree with you. Uh, uh, I was always taught to like take care of my stuff. Like, uh, like my dad, like every time I walk out and my car is dirty, uh, I like kind of hold my breath for a second because my dad was like, you know, like you can tell a lot by like a man's shoes and how clean his car is. Yeah. So if I get into somebody's car that's like dirty and this and like my dad was big on like he was shoes like like, um, you know, there's certain things like eh, like. The world is a worse place for not having good fathers like I like everything good in this world. I learned I learned from my mom and my dad and my dad especially and playing football. Like it was it like, you know, you show up and you work hard how to play on a team. Don't fuck your buddies over. Do do what you say you're going to do. You know, like when the ball is snapped, go 100 miles an hour, shake people's hands. Your word means something like all of these things that your dad teaches you. And I, and I, I sometimes wonder when I see this shit, it seems like a people just had a lot of shitty fathers or didn't have a fucking positive father. And there are a lot of people don't get to make that decision. And I feel bad for them. But like at the end of the day, like it doesn't make it any less true. And, um, you know, for like a lot of that stuff, like I, I had an agent come pick me up who was courting me and he picked me up and his car was so disgustingly dirty. I told him, I was like, I, I can't hire you as an agent. Look at your car. He's like, what does that mean? And I was like, like, this is, this is giving me a panic attack that my dad's going to come. He's going to magically appear and punch us in the face for riding in this dirtier car. Like there was like, I mean, we got up every Saturday morning and had to clean cars. Like we washed all the cars. My job was to take Q-tips and clean the wheels, even from the time I was a little kid. And there was just like this sense of pride in everything. You keep everything nice. And um, I, like I, like the uh, like the fact that I'm not emotionally attached to things doesn't mean I don't have pride in them. Oh, yeah. You for know, sure. but like the idea, like there's just I think you have to like, you know, there has to be pride and stuff. But like, man, like it just feels like a bunch of people that didn't have good fathers and got taught a bunch of shit. Or just don't know their values. You know, like they don't know. It's hard to know your values if you haven't experienced a lot. And that's why I, wa- I wanted to hear like, so what what. What else made you feel this way about like these things? Well, I think it's, I think that like, if I were to, it's something like at the end of the day, if I were to lose the shoes or mess up the shoes, it's less about the thing itself. It's about like, I take that on as like, I messed up. Like I had responsibility and control over that situation. And I, I screwed up. Like, like when I lose stuff, it really eats me up for some reason, because I'm like, man, if I was just paying more attention or if I had just taken a little bit more care, I wouldn't have lost that. And I realized it's, you just buy another one. And I sure. always, you know, I do, but like something about, I don't know. Losing, so, losing stuff hits me with that too. Yeah. I, I and I think that's shit. different than yeah. like, you know, I, I don't think that that is um, getting mad when you lose stuff, I think is different than being owned by your stuff. Well, and, 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 that's the thing about the new thing. Like once the shoes get dirty, I'm like, fuck it. Like Texas so. truck for, for a deal. Like I, I, I understand it because he did like the truck that he had is by far like the coolest quintessential square body on the planet. And like, I could see a lot of like uh image tied up in it. And I was fucking stoked for you that you got to, cause it's really the car that you should have had at 16 years old. Like when you turn oh, yeah. 16 as a 16 year old kid in high school, well, if you had a Chev- a lifted Chevy square body, that was fucking cool as shit. What is ironic is my purchase was very similar to the my first car in high school. Yeah. So high school had a 1984 Mercedes-Benz turbo diesel, 300D. So now I got a 1978 300CD, just regular diesel. Yeah, Tex, you want to know what I drove in high school? A Mercedes? A 2001 Ford Windstar minivan That's with awesome. bucket seats. Mm. And that thing was a tank. 
Nice. Let's see, soccer player, soccer mom. Uh, my mom and dad had a, uh, a square body Suburban that I used to drive all the time. That's why I think I like those trucks because we had a white Suburban. And then uh, my dad, I remember I was like a sophomore in high school and I had gotten letters and I had something like a hundred scholarship offers by the time I was like a th- my second or third year of high school. And I remember my dad being like, so wait a minute, all these people are calling and they're going to give you a scholarship. And I'd already taken SATs and got mm-hmm. a 1200 and like I got good grades. And they, my dad was like, I was like, dude, they're going to pay me to go to play football. And my dad was like, huh, well, I got this money saved for college. You want to go get a truck? And my dad was hilarious in that, uh, like, this is classic, my dad. So, like, on the Saturdays, like, he would have, like, we'd just do yard work. And there was all this shit to be done. Like, we had to wake up. My dad also had a deal that if you were in bed by 6 a.m. or past 6 a.m., you were lazy. So, at, like, 6.01, he would start banging on our windows and doors. Like, get up. You're not, like, and still to this day, I wake up. And I'm like, oh, my dad's going to call me lazy if I sleep in. <laughs> but we would get up and we had all this shit to do. And if we did a good job, he'd be like, get in the car. And we would like go do some adventure. We either go to dinner. We would go. I remember one time he's like, get in the car. Uh, it was like maybe noon. I'm like, where are we going? And he's like, get your mother, whatever. He didn't tell us. We jump on the freeway. I'm like, where are we going? He's like, we're going to Mexico. We're going to go down to Puerto Nuevo, which is this little town, town just south of Rosarita Beach that is full of lobster restaurants. So we drove to Mexico, which was three hours, go and ate lobster and had these bitch and lobster tacos and drove back and we're home before like 10 o'clock at night. That's awesome. Like just fun adventures, like cool shit. Like my dad was like, oh, he's like, you want to go get a truck? Get in the car. And I remember we went in and uh, we went to like the GMC dealership and like they didn't have like a truck that, that we were like looking at. And we went across the street to the Ford and he was like, that, and I was like, dad, that black Ford Bronco is pretty cool. And he's like, that one put his credit card down and fucking bought it. Huh. And he's like, yeah, and just literally bought it brand new. And we drove it home and I was like, holy shit. So like my dad was the type of dude where like, uh, you know, like, you know, it was, it was, it was just like, if you do good and you know, like, don't be an asshole. Like, you know, you work hard, all this shit will take care of you. Like, yeah. like and, and that, that type of stuff. You, you bring know? up the dad stuff. It makes me think, you know, one area where I'd, I'd say that even though I'm more experience driven, but things have mattered to me is, you know, now that I'm a dad, uh, I think it's amplified the buy once, cry once kind of thing, because I want my son to have some artifacts of some things that, you know, he's not going to care about until a certain age in his life, but he might, you know, for example, you know, I had bought, I travel an insane amount. And so I bought these two uh, Filson bags, you know, these things that were created. I think the company was started in the 1800s. They're in Seattle. I don't want to give them too much of a shout out because they should sponsor our podcast if they want that. Um, but these bags, like it's real leather, you know, these things are supposed to last forever. You know, they, the more you use them, the more they expand. It's kind of stuff you'd find in grandpa's attic. Yeah. You're like, that's a sick ass satchel. And maybe you see it when you're a kid, but it's really badass once you're like 25 or 30. Um, and then I've never been like a huge boots guy. But like the other day, I got turned on to Thursday, like Thursday Boots is a, this company that randomly came up in an ad and the ad worked. And this is why it's like, that's a whole nother conversation we could have about privacy. Thursday Boots. Yeah, Thursday. Uh, and what kind of boots do they make? Um, like, like genuine dress leather. Uh, dread, they make like dress boots. Matt, how would you describe uh, your more yeah, of a boot? They make, well, they make dress boots, but in combat, they have some solid Chelsea's too. So yeah, they, so they have. Yeah. They, they probably have something you could, you could ride into. Yeah, if you go into it, like. Um, but hold on, let me lose, I'll lose my train of thought. Uh, so like I had bought these boots because I was just, I wanted something that was just a little bit more, something that like the, I love the idea of like things that last and rustic, sure. you know, like they're to us, our, it, it ties into our branding too. We always talk about our branding and, I, and you guys do a wonderful job of this sophisticated grit. You want it to look professional, but you also want it to look a little bit scarred. Sure. Right. And I think that's representation of self, just knowing that like 
want to be professional, but you also know that like sure. part of that is just being who you are. Um, and so these boots and these bags, these are things that will get scuffed and worn, but that makes them better. You know, someday, like he might throw these boots out. They'll probably only last like five years, depending on how much you wear them. But the fact that they start to form to your foot and that there's little, little scuffs in them and all that stuff. And like the main thing I just want to be able to tell my son is like, listen, like invest in things that last and the things that last aside from relationships and conversations. And you mentioned the term interaction, all these things. It's also like all these things, like the, the imperfections in them make them great. The experiences that you have within them make them great. And like, I just think that there's such a value in imperfection and the hard stuff and the things that you invest in because it hurts then when you lose it. It hurts. There's it like we've all paid for like the cheap things and like whatever, you know, when somebody or even if they complain about a prime, a premier service, oh, that's too expensive. I'm like, well, how well do you take care of the $5 sunglasses you bought at Circle K? You know, and so I think that being a dad has made me a little bit more attached to certain things, just a couple of things, because it's like, one day, no matter, you know, you go through those phases, your kids love you, then they hate you, and then they, yeah. then they miss dad. But someday he'll see those bags or those boots or something else. Maybe he'll just pick up my book. You know, books are still even being printed that day or he reads it in the metaverse. You have dad or the podcast. Think about this. Yeah. Your kids and, and like all of our, you know, family, our offsprings can hear our voices digitally forever. We have my dad on the podcast. And, uh, it's a time capsule. Well, I mean, and, and we, we got Fred Hatfield. Um, those, so the last interview he did. Uh, really passed away shortly after our hard deal. Yeah. So we, we had Fred Hatfield and then we did my dad. Uh, we didn't get George Sangus, who was the old guy that trained me. Um, and I was trying to get him on the podcast and, uh, or no, I, I think I I was trying to interview him. No, I was trying to get him to go do rips starting strength interview out in, uh, which was kind of the first podcast ever did was that interview I did with him. And, uh, I need to listen to that one, uh, but yeah, you and rip, this is in 2000. Oh, I'm listening to that. Yeah. It's, it's, I have this whole, his, fucking terrible mustache um but uh uh and then the big push to get louis on was i'm like dude we got to get him on like like uh, like if you know especially when i heard he, you know his health wasn't as great as it used to be i was like you know what like uh, like i think you gotta like cantonize and like have some memorial for these people but forever my kids are going to be able to go listen to their granddad talk and, now do you keep the original this is something i'm confused on and maybe you can help me with this is we we don't like i always debate once it's out there digitally, it's there, right? Like, do I need to keep, is it like a musician? Should we be keeping all of our originals? Like how many gigs this is? Is there, is there a situation where. Where like the internet goes down. And we're yeah. Lost? And then you've lost it. And you, if you don't keep your, your masters, so to speak, that stuff's lost for good. That is a thing. I never thought about that. Well, either, you know, on cloud backup, but like I have all these external hard drives. But even those aren't foolproof, right? Like this is where my yeah. my anxiety get the best not, of me. We had one die. Yeah, we had one corrupt. And Charles we just is like went it. Through a corrupt. Yeah. Through my whole month out of life. Yeah. yeah. Well, and like to a well, point, you just gotta let he, it go because I'm like, like it's it, it's nine hundred bucks to, to to fix it, and I'm like, so what do we do? And he's like, well, we could just load the audio to YouTube. I'm like, sounds good. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, and so that's what I started doing. Even like, um, we created. This has helped me let go. Is there's only so many backups you can have. Right. And they're like, you can have it digitally and you can have this, but then that backup's not guaranteed. And then I remember like, you have to put stake in that. Sometimes these big technology companies have a vested interest in making sure you don't lose your shit and whatever. But that's also made me do something that I appreciated what you said about parenthood is, um, I, I was trying to figure out what to do with like memories of Bronson. Cause you remember that Christmas vacation thing where Clark watches the real, the film yeah. in the attic. Well, you know, 
And then I'm not a creative per- – well, I, I probably would be if I had more time, but that's not what I can spend my time doing right now. So I'm not going to create these iMovies and everything. So what I did is I decided to start a Bartholomew Memories YouTube channel, and I made it completely private, right? It's completely private. And what I do is any moment I get a picture or a video of my son, it could be the most banal thing ever, right? Any video, all those get uploaded. So it's Bronson and his tractor. First time he rode a tractor. Bronson and the bear and wrestling. Literally every moment is canonized. I love that you use that term on that. And so what's cool is I can go home and like only my family has the passwords to that and they can see that. And now I don't know if YouTube's going to be around in 20 to 30 years, um, but some permutation of it will. It's safer there than it is. Just think about all the stuff we have on our phones. They're like, know. what are you going to do with it? You I, know, I, these- I do back mine up because uh, I have so many videos of our kids and my wife and I are always like, uh, she, my, my wife is, uh, I'll load everything to the cloud. She has external hard drives because she's so paranoid mm-hmm. that she's going to lose these pictures uh, to the point where I told her, I'm like, why don't we just send the pictures out and get them put into like, uh, like a CD. Yes. Yeah, so we started doing like that something. too. But I, I like, I think uh, being a parent is really interesting. And like, I, I, like, I hate when I meet people like, Oh, you know, like wants everybody to have kids. Oh like, yeah. I think everybody should have the opportunity to be a parent. Right. Like, but I don't think everybody should be a parent. No, and, and not everybody and, can be. No, we had no. to go through a lot to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and like the, um, and I think we would probably be better off if some people weren't parents, or like I'm sorry, there, there's a difference between being a parent and a father, and then just having offspring, because there's a lot of people that are just having offspring that aren't necessarily good parents and shouldn't probably have had offspring, right? But everybody should be able to do it as their you know God given right, right? Um, but I think like being a parent, like uh, it takes a lot, and I think for me personally. Um, having kids put a ton of stuff in focus. Like all of a sudden, you you know, because you live in this kind of universe and you're kind of the center of the universe and then you realize you have kids and you have your wife and you and then you have all these other people that have created your universe and at like some point it's constantly evolving and every day it's almost somebody's different at the center. Yeah. And like you realize that like, like, you know, dad is a really interesting term and like at the end of the day, usually like the mom is the center of the universe especially with like it is for Bronson right now for sure it it, it is and I've always said as a dad like when your kids are little you're kind of the assistant coach and your wife's the head coach and then at some point I get to be the head coach Mm. and like how that kind of you know or like you you, you co-coaching but like I remember just sitting there watching my wife and being like I'm just the assistant coach I'm just here for support yeah right like like you guys are this and we had twins but I think like um the interesting thing and I sometimes wonder if like the value of, of the parent is like how your kids, it's not how they view you, let's say in their teenage years, because they're probably not going to like you. I know that's coming, but like, like years later, you know, like how your, how your kids view you 20 and 30 years later, like how, like the stories and how you're viewed, because I'll tell you this, like, we'll talk to my mom and like, we'll retell stories and she's like mortified by what we say. And she's like, was I really that terrible? And we hear that all the time. And we're like, I don't know if you're good or bad, but this is the truth. But you know, what's awesome about that. And like, we have an episode coming out on this in a couple of weeks about, that's that's such a clear corollary to like leadership too about being liked and respected, right? Like there are so many people that whether they're a coach, whether they're a parent, whether they're a leader, they try to be liked more than anything. And it's like, no, that's a losing battle. No, and and as a, and I tell my daughters this all the time. Uh, there's very low in my job description that has like in it. <laughs> like like at, at the end of the day, I'm not your friend. I'm your parent, and my job is to shepherd you across in this experience. And like, you can like me or dislike me. That's going to, well, we could decide that later on, but it's not going to stop me from my very clear defined mission. And I tell my daughters constantly, you might think you get something pulled over, but I fucking know. 
and I'll always be there and I'll never give up. I'm fucking relentless. You'll never break me. You'll never get to the point where I acquiesce and just say, uh, go do what you want. I'll fight you every step of do the way. Do you have the um, the full plan like Serena and Venus's father, King no, Charles, had not, the not 28 pamphlet? No, no <laughs> I, I think uh, uh, like I want my daughters to be well-adjusted, intelligent, uh, capable, um, independent women. I tell them that constantly. Like, you guys are intelligent, independent women. I can't wait for you to go to college and come visit you. I can't wait to see who you grow up and become. I want to see you take on the world. And I want you guys to realize that, like, the world is only scary until you get out there. Um, these ideas of, like, sheltering your children and protecting them from the evil in the world and this doesn't do anything for them. Uh, I talked to them. Like, we were down. The street, like, we were driving. There was a homeless guy. Most parents would be like, shut the window. I'd be like, roll the window down. Take a sniff of that. Yeah, do you know why he's fucking out there? And, uh, you know, is it that he fell on hard times? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? It's fucking drugs. And this is where you end up when you do drugs. My parents did that to me. Right? And I, I, I've i never shielded them from the ugliness in this world. And I, I, I talked to them very, very clearly on a lot of different topics. Like we sat down the other day. Um, they were like, uh, they'll, they'll ask me questions like uh, whether it be on this and this. And I give them 100% straight answers. And I tell them about people and this. And I, I just don't think, because I'll just give you an example. When I was 10 years old, my dad came home. I remember my mom wasn't there. She was driving my brother to something. And uh, my dad came in. He like poked his head in. He's like, is your mother here? I'm like, no. He's like, okay. He ran out of the car and he came in with a brown paper bag. And he dumped it on the table and it was just cash. And so my dad was a defensive lawyer. And he's like, hey, I got a, a, a client who's uh, going to get picked up tomorrow. This is bail money. So I need you to help me count it. So we literally started counting out all these hundreds. We counted out it was like 100 grand in cash. And so then we put it into this. We wrote the whole thing. We put it back in the bag. And then my dad wrapped it up and went and put it in the safe. And I remember I was sitting there and he like grabbed me by the hand and we went in. And I remember he turned on hot water and he put my hands underneath and he took soap and he was washing my hands. And I'm like, dad, what's going on? And he's like, do you know where that money came from? Do you know who? And he, he told me the story. He's like, this guy's a fucking drug dealer. That money was given to him by fucking people drying drugs. People died for that money. And you touched it and it's fucking dirty. Wash your hands. Never make any illusions. And I was like, you represent these people? And he's like, at the end of the day, like this is the job that I selected and these are my clients, yeah. right? It isn't my job to decide whether or not they're good people or bad no. people. I, I present them and I have to represent them. Through this Nothing deal. in life is that easy. Right? But, but people like to do. And I remember like, that's a great analogy of my dad and uh, he never shielded us from anything and I don't want to shield me. And the thing that I hate is when I meet parents that treat their girls, their daughters, like little princesses or these pretty little things and this, I'm like, no, 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 no. You at some point will have to kick the door off of the hinges to take what you want and to go out in the world. And it's going to be cold and it's going to be harsh. And you know what? I'll be there to support you every step of the way, but I can't carry you on your journey. So do you believe people can do the wrong thing for the right reasons? Um, yes, 100%. Uh, Kenny Vasquez shooting that car uh, the other day mm. uh, with a child molester. Do I think he acted poorly? Does he Is revenge a dish best served cold? Would I have followed those guys until there was nobody around? Would I have acted emotional and done that? No way. Uh, was the outcome not the one he wanted? If he'd been more calculating and more intelligent, he could have fought, had a better outcome. What that. do you think, Tex? Not to cut you, I just want to get yeah. his perspective too. Do you think you can do the wrong thing for the right reasons? Man, I mean, that's why the stories like The Watchmen and all these big picture yeah, the Punishers. I, Punisher. I think we need a, a modern day Punisher. That's that. It's uh, him right there. This gentleman. You're the Punisher? Listen, if you do not get this guy on the podcast at some point, what, what I'm doing with my son is he's spending a week. I think every every son, daughter, anything has to spend a week with Matt in the woods. Matt is one of the most interesting people you've never met. He is the state of West Virginia embodied. 
And so West Virginia mountain mama. A hundred percent. And I think of you when I think of Matt, ironically, because John mentioned it and it was a huge compliment that I hope you take. Um, and I don't remember the verbiage around it, but like you do have this very, um, you have this very unique persona where everything about you is purposeful, right? Like you, I even think of like the, first of all, you look like Johnny Cash, which is very weird. You look like that picture behind you, but for, yeah, from the shoes you wear to the type of truck to like the way you present yourself, I know nobody else like you, but it's, it's like you wear your values and like so much of who you are, like literally on your sleeve. And Matt is the same way. Matt is West Virginia, like embodied in a human being. If you go in there from the way he cooks his food, the way he talks, the way he uses like Matt will give you that whiskey wisdom and he will like lull you into a story where like it's like this emporium of enlightenment wrapped in a riddle. And you're like, I don't know what you just said, but this low country boil you made is amazing. And you taught me how to fashion a knife just by touching my brain. And like, <laughs> so you, you gotta have this dude on the podcast. Um, I, he makes I, a mean pork butt. Uh, mean yeah. Pork no, butt. I, I, dude, I, I think uh, uh, life experience is important, but I really think uh, we're in this. Uh, like, so, so what, what's driving me fucking crazy is that uh, the perception, like, like the way people are viewing information. Like, I, I was fortunate enough to view life. Like from the driver's seat, I feel like so much of the way people are interacting with the world is passively through through like a digital matrix, right? Like, so you're stuck in this phone, you're getting people doing these TikTok dances. Now I'm going to do my TikTok dances and I'm pushing it out and like all this interaction. And to me, it's, uh, it, it's, it's like one directional, like, and, and then the, the reaction you're getting is so fucking sterile and so filtered and so just awful in so many ways that like, there's no nuance in anything. It's like you're not sitting around a fire and he's telling you a story about this. Like it's like people are taking video. And that's another thing too. Everywhere you go, people are fucking holding up your phone. I'm like, put your fucking phone away and enjoy this moment. Or is your brain this fucking clogged that you can't actually cantonize and fucking crystallize this moment? Like I like the, the amount of times where I've been like, ah, fuck, I should have taken a picture. Like uh, we were at the Arnold. I walked by. I was just like kind of walking over where the Olympic lifting was. And I see Kelly Starrett's booth. I kind of like walked by and like just kind of stood there and watched him and he saw me and like eyes got big and I hadn't seen him in a while. I love Kelly. And uh, yeah, I mean like, so when I, dude, I slept on Kelly's couch when I hurt my knee. Like we've been friends for, I mean, the very first. Such sem- a good person. First, very first CrossFit football seminar I taught, Kelly worked for me and he was so good and CrossFit was so fearful about us meshing that they gave him his own seminar the next week. Really? After he had pitched him for two years on trying to do a mobility seminar. They basically shut him down. They saw him work with me once and they were so nervous about us working together. They basically gave him his own deal. And he's like, I wouldn't have never have started this mobility wad if I hadn't have fucking come and worked with John. And, um, you know, but like that, that moment was cool. And I was like, ah, fuck, I didn't get a picture. And I was joking with him. I was like, man, we need to get a picture. He's like, yeah, but we have the memory. He's like, he's really good about that. He's like, we come from a different time that we don't. Oh, you do? Okay. Well, where, where do I find a you? I need a you in my life. We need a, we need a, it's like Kanye had cootie. Dude. I need a Charles and a cootie. We need somebody to help us out. Well, dude, uh, Char- Charles. Help us find uh, another you uh, and a cootie. Char- Charles has been a, a, a good addition. Cootie. One, because uh, um, he, uh, even though he grew up an only child, he grew up with a whole bunch of cousins. So he's fairly adept. Uh, he can take a lot of shit talking, which I grew up with older brothers. So all we did was talk shit. And then in the NFL, as you know, it's the number one pastime. Like, <laughs> like if you can't talk shit and more like if you can't, one, if you can't talk shit, but if you can't take it, like you don't survive very long in that game. Like I just like, I, I fucking love it. You laugh at this. So we, and we talk about it tomorrow, but Amazon had invested in this technology 
basically is a form of conversational analysis, you know, very low end, just tone. They call it tone. How, how are you coming across? So I had worn it for a while. I lost it. Imagine that. And the by whole, losing it, you said you threw that fucking uh, thing away. No, no, I, I, the wrong I, I liked it. I mean, it's something transparently like you know, we want to we want to develop, you know, something more in depth. It's like it's a big, bigger dream of ours when we get the right personnel. But this showed you a very it, it was basically imagine a quadrant that kind of showed, you know, are, are you energized? Are you in a negative mood? Are you in a positive? And it was moving constantly. So like if a, right now I sounded really jubilant and happy, right? It would skew this way. And and whatever. And so then it would give you a daily readout and say, Hey, here was your most negative point in the day, your most positive point in the day, so on and so forth. And the idea wasn't, again, was it pure objectivity? Is did it just make you think twice about how you came across? Man, it kept telling me my most negative points in the day was like between eight and 10 a.m. And I, I looked at my wife and I'm like, Why? And to your point about NFL and shit talking, it was when I coached the guys. Yeah. And so I'd be like, Henry, you done tying your shoe. Jack, are you done messing around? Like, come over here and quit being, you know, I'm not going to say everything on air. Yeah, yeah put but, your fucking head out of your ass. Right, but it's totally jocular, right? Just totally fun and whatever. And to them, it's like, it's our love language. But this thing was like negative, negative, negative. You know, but like Allie and I were like, how cool would that be? One of the things we want to work on is even, even think of something as banal as Zoom, right? And how many unilateral interactions happen on Zoom. And Zoom's not going to go away. That, that stuff just is what it is. But imagine text you're talking for a while and then something pops up and goes... You know, it's like text, you've been talking for two minutes straight. Try asking a question. Hey, Ali, your face looks a little bit serious. Try smiling. Um, hey, John, try utilizing Brett's name two, three times. Just nothing annoying, almost like VH1 pop-up video that just like shows you a little thing here and there. And, and this stuff can be done. I think for us, the limitation is not the data and not the way that we're starting to code for interactions and, and all these things. Like, um, I mean, we've, we've done a lot of like videoed communication training for a while we got to find the tech people. Like we're just not at that empire stage level yet, but it's cool to see these technologies to the point of like, enjoy the moment. There's some things that keep us from enjoying that moment because we don't know how to interact in that moment. You know, you don't really know how to pass the torch. You don't know how to do this. Maybe, maybe there's this question you would have asked. And so it's like, we don't want to control those conversations. We just want to add a little prompt. That's like, Hey, don't forget about this. It's like having a Charles that takes a picture when we didn't think to do it. No, nope. you know, uh, and that's our big fuzzy dream. No, someday. I'm, uh, I'm stoked that Charles did take that. But like for me, uh, I was just happy to see my friends. Sure, I get that. that you know what I mean, that, though. But but like I feel like everybody is so focused on like social proof of everything. Yeah, yeah. Sure. That uh, like uh, like the amount of people that are like as they um, like I, I always think it's interesting too. Like when we meet people, um, if the first thing they do is they ask me for a picture. It's fine. But like if somebody sits there and invests the time and talks and they have a good interaction and they're like, hey, can I get a picture? It's always much more genuine. Than that. I'd rather go to dinner with you. <laughs> well, I'm happy to do no, that. No, legitimately. I think well, a meal yeah. like, you yeah. know. And they, yeah. And to sit down. And I remember uh, I remember Mark Ripto told me years ago, um, like the uh, like the greatest form of social interaction is is over food. And especially like if somebody cooks for you at your house, mm-hmm. because, you know, like uh, if you come to my house and, and like if I have people over for dinner. House. Well, I know you're at my house, but if, if, if somebody's coming to my house over for dinner or whatever and we cook, like it's kind of a big deal because I don't fuck around. Like one, there's going to be way more food than you're ever going to eat. And you're going to be like, wow, that's fucking good. And it's our because, people. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I would be so fearful if somebody came over to my house and was like, wow, that was it. We did. I'm, I'm kind of still hungry. I'd be like, <gasps> like, like we would be mortified. Like I cook and you can ask these guys, like we make way too much food. And I'm always happy to leftovers because at the end of the day, like that's a good marker being like. Food was good, and I ate way too much. Yeah. Or so you're like, ah, like you go to somebody's house and they don't cook enough, I'd be embarrassed. Or, you know, Allie, did we cook enough when you come visit? I feel like I. Well, it's a good thing that we work out the way that we do because I think it's like we 
we are simultaneously working out, eating, and doing our actual work the entire time. I don't know how it's possible. There's only one hole that all of this stuff can happen through. <laughs> it makes sense. Well, and, and also the, the way I look at it is you can't get fat eating protein. Oh, I think you said you can't get fed no, eating protein. I no, was like, I'm no, confused. No, I, I have a firm belief that there's no way to get fat over eating protein. See, here's what Brett does. It's like totally masterful and I've started stealing is that no matter what time of day it is, there's always a charcuterie board out. Oh, God. And Man, so it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like the meal is still to come. And yet I've been snacking on cheese and You're crackers. You're like, I, I can't eat any more dried meats. Well, it's all of the And then the, the charcuterie board comes out for breakfast as well. But it's like a breakfast version wow. with, with fruit. I mean, it's really, it's, it's top Thank level. You. And there's honey. And you there's know what? A whole this bunch of this stuff table right here would, would be a great charcuterie board. charcuterie board. Well, and this uh, is the business thing. The whole trip here was really just to pitch you an idea. You know, uh, and there's two of them. One of them is Allie's. The, the low end idea is, I, you know, I want to open this business called the, the Brett and Breakfast or the, the Bed and Barbell, where people can stay the night, work out, get some food. But Allie's got the best idea um, about their charcuterie stuff. Now's the time to pitch it. John Shark Tank, go with Charcucci, okay. go. So, yeah, Charcucci was the first name that came to mind, but probably we'd go with something a little bit more refined. No. <laughs> no. Did you say Charcucci? Yeah. <laughs> with a double O. Oh. Charcucci. Um, but anyway, the concept is you walk in, picture Chipotle, but for charcuterie boards, first you get to pick your, your vessel. So you either get a slate board, you get a, a wood board, <laughs> or you get a marble if you're really bougie. Then you have a station for your cheeses. You get to pick three. Station for your pickled things, station for your meats, station for your sauces. And then at the end, the uh, the person behind the, you know, the, the table will make a recommendation on a wine pairing. Mm-hmm. You will, or beer, if you're into that, nice IPA. You'll then uh, go out to your table, which is around a fire pit. And you will uh, have the charcuterie board delivered to your, your seating. Mm. And it's going to be really expensive. And well, the margins will be great because we will feature local cheese and local meat, and you will get to advertise for free mm. at Charcucci. So you will give give us the can cheese. Can you get it to go? Absolutely, you can get it to go. I can't guarantee it it's gonna it's gonna drive well, but you know you can absolutely. And a well. Wednesday night is improv night. Yeah, we don't know why. Uh, how else are you gonna get people there on a Wednesday? I mean, the place is called Charcucci. You could also just call it Amateur Night and see who shows up. <laughs> uh, put it next to the airport. You'll be fine. <laughs> Charcucci as a matter of fact, only available by the uh, airport. I thought it was uh, College Night. Cobbler's Night? No, College Oh, night. I didn't know if that guy was coming but to fix it. College Night, we'll break out the craft singles and we'll put away the good I like stuff. That. I, think it's, I, I, I think it's got legs. You know? I mean, thank you. We wanted to pitch it. I mean, I think. We, get out of here. Yeah, sorry. This is I idea? just give you the platform. <laughs> My investors, possibly you. Okay, you can be my agent. But Thank you. Three percent. Okay. College night's got to include champagne. I swear it's a couple uh, beers. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. I have to wrap this thing up because I have to go to a little boy's birthday party. Oh, I haven't been able timing, to feel John. my back for an hour. Excellent timing. Yeah, so hey, hey, guys. Well, backs, uh, you know, I mean, it's tough carrying the weight of your company on your back for this long. I'm yeah. amazed that you're not taller. And the conversation. <laughs> Yeah, and carrying the conversation. So, I love but you, guys. you know, I mean, you know, I mean, you were probably six foot before you had to carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. But I'm glad to know you've done it. So, hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. See ya.
Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can learn more about Art of Coaching by following Brett Bartholomew on Instagram. That's at coach underscore Brett B. Until next time, bye! Bye!